top MMA voices Ariel Hawani, Chuck Mindenhall, and Pizza Carroll are live on the Spotify Greenroom app for every major MMA card with the Ringer MMA show. Hear the guys react to weigh-ins in real time and find out what they think of the fights the moment the final card ends. Plus, when breaking MMA news happens, they'll be live to talk to you about it. And if you missed the Green Room show, you can hear it as a podcast anytime on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game and they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. Hope you checked out the rewatchables this week. We did Austin Powers, the first one, doing Beverly Hills Cop 2 next week, if you want to watch that. I think it's on Showtime and a bunch of other places. Prestige TV, we covered We Own This City and Winning Time. I was on those this week, but we also did Better Call Saul. We did the last few episodes of Ozark covering Barry every week. We've been doing the last episode of Winning Time on Monday, et cetera, et cetera. Check out that feed and the Ringerverse podcast. Wanted to mention that one as well because we have all these movies like apparently Obi-Wan Kenobi has a show that's coming out. There's Game of Thrones prequels, Marvel movies. It is just chaos and you can follow it all along on the Ringerverse podcast with Mally Rubin, Joanna Robinson, Charles Holmes, Van Lathan and a whole bunch of other people that pop in and out of that whole Ringerverse universe. So check that out. Coming up on this podcast, Tyler Parker, Chris Ryan, we're going to talk about the characters of the NBA playoffs through one and one-fourths of the postseason. Going to hand out some awards. Jackie McMullen, the Hall of Famer. We're going to talk about Celtics-Bucks, the most fascinating matchup series of round two and some of the stuff we've seen with the Celtics as they've evolved over the last six months. And then last but not least, Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam. He's going to be talking about music, sports, basketball, uh, life in the early 90s, the Sonics, maybe coming back to Seattle, and a whole bunch more. But before we get to it, let's bring him in. Pearl Jam! All right, we have a rare off day in the NBA playoffs, which allows us to go into the underbelly 
where my guy Tyler Parker likes to live from The Ringer, theringer.com. The weird, the wacky, the strange. Chris Ryan is here as well. Chris, you're still cranking out the watch? Yeah, every once in a while. Hey, you know what would be funny, Tyler, is if like you did a hard pivot to like deep analytics like as soon as you got hired here and you were like, I've left all my jokes in the past. This is my blue period. I'm only talking VORP and wind shares. Yeah, yeah, no, I got a lot of uh, I got a lot of assist rate stuff for this week, so I'm excited to get into that. <laughs> Tyler comes out and just talks about hunting Luka Doncic for 35 minutes, <laughs> just just the points per possession every time they went after Luka. Uh, all right, when Tyler, they attack DJ. It's 1.6 points per possession. <laughs> Tyler, um, walk us through walk us through your favorite characters as we are about 1.2 per. 1.2 into the uh, into the playoffs. Right. One two-tenths? One th- how that does that work, right. Chris? <laughs> one one-fourth into the NBA playoffs? One and a quarter, yeah. Who's your favorite character, Tyler, so far? I mean, so do you want do you want do you want to go do you want to go one to five or five to one? What do you think, Chris? Five to one? Five to one. Let's build up. Okay. Build can we do tension. can we do like two honorable mentions just to get me? Oh, get my feet wet. Just a, yeah, just like an appetizer, a little pigs in the blanket. Yeah, let's absolutely. Like this a, is like good. A, <laughs> top twenty-five starting at thirty-two. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. let me let me pass the tray around. Let me see what, the, what kind of finger foods I got in here, really quick. Hold up. Um, let's do. I mean, Pat Bev. Absolutely, yeah. Pat Bev has got got to be honorable mention. I mean, if you know, if if only for Devendorfinet on top of the uh, <laughs> on top of the scores table after the play-in game. I mean, that that in and of itself is enough <laughs> to get an honorable mention for sure. I, um, what about his uh, his step back threes in huge moments of an actual round one playoff series? I enjoyed that as well. It made me feel so bad for Timberwolves fans because I know they I know they grew to love him, right? Like you 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 got to You got to buy into it, right? You got to buy into the antics. You got to embrace it because it's going to be part of your team. So you just got to decide, hey, I like this now. But then in the yeah. end, he's like, oh, no, did, did we give him a little bit too much confidence in himself? We don't need Pat Bev taking big shots at any point. Definitely not step back threes. Did you guys see that uh, after the jaw game the other night, he was just like, well, I'll tell you, we never let him score 47 on us. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> like, this is great. I, want, I really want losing team commentary <laughs> on what they did better a break. than the team that advanced. <laughs> yeah. He definitely should take it a break from the playoffs for better. Incre- LeBron went to the Maldives. Is LeBron honorable mention? LeBron just kind of wades in and out with these tweets. He called NBA writers. Mu- we- I- Is he coming up, Tyler? <laughs> <laughs> I like I I, lo- I like the move to just kind of go like like just get a little tipsy every night, get a little wine drunk every night, and just kind of just just let the takes get the takes off, man. Like that's what the people want. Give the people he still has an opportunity to become a big storyline in the playoffs. We know he likes that, so just do it. Yeah, tweet every game. He should live tweet every game. Chris, it would yeah. be like after the Emmys if Jason Bateman just one night was watching some show and was like, "I don't know who these dweebs who vote on the Emmys are doing, but I'll tell you this: Julia Garner the is better four to row. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah." <laughs> Yeah, I thought he his takes so far. The thing with LeBron, like, and and the the tweets are mostly just that, like, he's like, I I was into their early stuff, so it's always yeah. like I've been watching <laughs> this guy since he was twelve. I have his early singles. You guys weren't messing with him when he was independent. It's like <laughs> so far, and mostly it's just like Jaws special, Tyrese Maxey is special. So it's it's the usual, but I like that he's always like I've been scouting this guy. 
Yeah, he's very much like I saw them when they were still called Mookie Blaylock. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he needs to weave in an old guy. You know, like like yeah, maybe a Bismack Biombo. I remember this guy early on <laughs> thinking this guy's going to be playing for twelve years, and now here we are. It's year twelve, something like that. Maybe just to mix it up. Kevon Looney is a great locker room presence. <laughs> what I want, I want him to go the next step, which is just to start claiming people that we know he didn't know about. Like he should claim Jose Alvarado. He should have just been like, I've known this guy. I've got people in Puerto Rico. They told me about him. Yeah. yeah. Not, what you know? I was following his AAU stuff with the Wrens. <laughs> I knew when he was the sixteen and under tournament. That's what I knew. All right. What? Any other honorable mention? Or you want to go to number five? Honestly, Alvarado was kind of an honorable mention for me, yeah. so I feel like I got it in there. Yeah, uh, that's let's, good. Let's, he, let's 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 go into five because it's not it it still has to do with with the Memphis really the Memphis T Wolf series in general, but Ja Ja doing the We in Minnesota now tweet after the whatever most historic comeback in NBA playoff history. I forget if that was exactly what it was or not. The came, but it felt came that way. Yeah, five once and then twenty seven again or something or I forget, but. During the game, you know, they've got this mic'd up stuff and there's never anything of value or substance in there, hardly ever. But during this game, Cap, for some reason, did the, you know, yeah, we in Minnesota now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and Ja, after the game, just tweeted that. <laughs> and I'm, I, that's, that's what it's all about to get getting stars going at other stars for stuff that they said in a game that they would have had no idea that they said it if not for the fact that and you don't you probably cat probably doesn't say that except for the fact that he knows he's mic'd up oh yeah you have to say the most generic kind of rah, yeah rah, yeah yeah so it it's uh i i mean i loved i love that that was that was amazing you know, and you open the door here, Chris. The when the when the guy knows he's mic'd up in the pregame warmups, they kind of have to feel like it's night at the Apollo. They're walking yeah. around. Look at this guy! Hey, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they have this yeah. weird kind of frantic energy. Like they just had too much coffee. I enjoy that. One day, I'm I'm gonna get the like upper tier subscription to the mic'd up coaches when like that isn't during the commercial break or leading into or coming out of a commercial break. And I will get like the pure like Doc Rivers be like, I got a tea time at Riviera tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Like I can't take any more like dig deep, get boards, get back. You got to want it more. Like I really want like, what are these guys actually saying? Well, you know what ruined this? I remember this specific moment, 2018. Steve Kerr pulled Durant over and told the Michael Jordan story to him. Remember? When I was playing with Michael and he did this minute-long story, they ran it as a mic'd up. Everyone on social media went nuts that he told this Michael Jordan story during a game to Kevin Durant. Like, what the fuck is, what is this coaching style? And the Warriors were really pissed about that because we were doing the courtside NBA show that year. And after that, it was like, yeah, the mic'd up stuff has gone south. We're just not getting as much good stuff. There is a version of the mic'd up that it reminds me of like when they do the real world or Survivor or all these reality shows where you know they have better stuff than we actually see in the reality. You know, like there's some editor who gets super high with his buddies and was like, hey man, did I ever show you the menage a trois from Challenge Season (laughs) 7? They're like, what? And then he's just queuing it up. 
And this guy's got all the goods, but he's got 19 NDAs. That's probably what the NBA has. They must have a yeah. million NDAs with the editors, right? There are those like Paul Thomas Anderson interviews from whenever like Boogie Nights is coming out and he's talking about doing the Sundance Labs and he's like, oh man, they got a pristine print of the chase. We're in there looking at that. And you know, there's just, yeah, <laughs> the basketball <laughs> version of that is. <laughs> no question. Um, all right. What do you got for number four? Chris Paul, ladies mm. and gentlemen. The, I mean, to go fourteen to fourteen to close them out. That that series, it felt like it was one. It was one of the most Chris Paul series that you could possibly get. You got everything that he provides. You've got him hitting some dude in the nuts, mm-hmm. which is a staple. You've got shout out to Julius Hodge. Never forget. Always, we always appreciate Julius Hodge. <laughs> um, but to, I mean, he's the what the only other dude since Will to have a perfect game in the playoffs. Yeah. 14 and 14, 33 and eight or whatever it was like, that's, that's kind of nuts. And then also like an extension of that is him. And if you, if you saw him and Devin Booker last night after the game, whenever they started to talk to them about sort of hunting Luca and all those possessions that they did, they share a little smirk, a little kind of look with Mm. each other. And you, and you know, in the same way the John Cat stuff, where you can just sort of see, like, oh no, like they're not afraid to sort of let the other superstar know how they feel about yeah. them in this moment. I like that stuff. That's I much prefer that than like, yeah, but he's a good player. You know, we got to get back on the other end. He's such know, a beast. We just want to make him work on the defensive end. It was a little yes. bit. It was a little bit like he can't hang with us on that. I like the, I like the gamesmanship and trying to kind of rile him a little bit. I, I like that stuff. Well, he also had, there was that moment when he torched somebody and then he just stared down the Dallas bench for like 20 seconds. Right. Yeah. And who was it? Reggie Miller was just, because Reggie Miller can sniff out all the, I'm trying to fuck with the other team stuff. That's really the one value <laughs> to having Reggie Miller as the announcer. Because yeah. he wrote the Chris. Old Testament of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's still looking. He's still looking at the bench. I was like, ah, oh, this is kind of good. He, it was that, for me at that moment, the series ended. I don't think there's any roadmap for Dallas to come back unless somebody on Phoenix gets hurt because you think yesterday, say everything goes right, right? Aiton gets in foul trouble. They're hanging around. Luca has a big first half. And then second half, it just Phoenix asserts their dominance. This is probably doesn't even most, matter who plays center. Yeah, that, and that was, that was the most like cruising Phoenix regular season juggernaut performance they've had, I think, in the playoffs. Like I know that they... You know, they played obviously well against the Pelicans and they closed that out. But like, this was the one where I was like, man, this team is just like a locomotive. That's how I felt the whole year. And then the Booker hamstring scared me. There was a moment right, right after the Booker hamstring when their their odds were actually lower than the Warriors or that like the Warriors had better odds to win the title than the Phoenix did just because of the hamstring. But now that seems stupid. We were also all doing Pelicans whippets. We were just like, what if? What if they could do it? <laughs> That's true. That that's a good thing to remember next year. First round whippets. When no, just this, get is irrationally the, excited. this is the whole point of the playoffs is that when a series goes like 1-1 one, one or 2-2, two, two, everybody talks themselves into the nine seed beating the like historically good one seed. And it's yeah. the best part. You're like, you I have mean, three days of wondering whether Herb Jones is better than Devin Booker. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have three days of being like, is this, is Herb Jones, is Chris Paul officially done? Has yeah. Herb Jones figured him out? Like, <laughs> right. You know, and then he, tor- you know, he torches. Are we sure that Larry Nance needs to move out of the way for Zion going forward? <laughs> the Herb Jones thing got to a point with me where I was looking up Kawhi's first two postseason stats <laughs> to see where they ranked against Herb. I was like, are we, are we, are we running back Kawhi right now? No, I didn't get the memo. 
Uh, it's great stuff. The Phoenix thing, they have all kinds of swagger. It's really hard for me to imagine, especially now with Gary Payton out, because I think he would have been important against Chris Paul in the next series. Now, who knows? Maybe it's Memphis in the next series. I don't even know what's going to play out with that, but it's all set up for Phoenix now. Boston and Milwaukee are just going to beat the shit out of each other for seven games. And Phoenix seems like they're set. The Luca piece of this, you know we're getting it one summer. I don't mean to sidetrack your list. You know we're getting no. it one of these summers. The Luca is finally taking this shit seriously and he has three yeah. chefs and two trainers and he's using Seagal's trainer from above the law. And you're going to get a good, like, good lighting pick in gym of some abs that you've never really known about before, for sure. You're going to get a bathing suit, bathing suit photo, like by the pool. No, no, here's the thing. He's going full Alexander Skarsgård in the Northman. You know, like he's going to be walking around with a bear pelt, chanting in front of a fire, completely cut with like a 16 pack. People are going to be freaked out. <laughs> I I definitely like there could be some St. Bart's pictures from far away, like how they do the Bradley Cooper with the models where it's like clearly they had a photographer in the woods, but they pretend they didn't <laughs> like Luca just strolling along in St. Bart's. And it's like, oh, my God, that guy looks like the freaking Randy Orton or somebody. Um, <laughs> yeah. OK, uh, Tyler, give us who's next for you. Got three left. Uh, this is number three. This is number three. Yeah, we got we got Doc Rivers. Doc oh, Rivers. Thank yeah. You. Oh, I, <laughs> I actually Rivers thought I thought he was going to go number one, but I, I'm interested he to could, hear the case for three. He could. He totally could have. And it's it. You know, they're, they're really honestly three to one are kind of interchangeable for me. I love them all. But uh, but no, I mean Doc. I mean, I don't even really know where to start. <laughs> Doc defending himself for like losing these playoffs. Yeah, leads. like when he when he trying to defend himself for the for the, for the, the magic Pistons loss and these other things. I just sort of like, why would you even think this was a smart idea? Why would you? What what, what did he think would happen? He was going to come out and be like, "This is how all of y'all are wrong," and that everyone was just going to be like, "Oh wow, we didn't think of that." You're right. Sorry, Doc. Like it, it doesn't. He doesn't compute to me at this point. He's so dead set on. He, he just he hates people questioning this DJ stuff so much. He, he does not like the feeling that he's wrong about this. And it, it is just like that. And I think that first, I think you should leave sketch from the first season with Tim Robinson and he's leaving, he's leaving the job interview and he tries to pull on the door and it doesn't go. And the interviewer is like, Oh, looks like you pushed. And Tim Robinson is like, actually, no, <laughs> it goes it goes both ways and he keeps pulling and it obviously doesn't but he will not he can't be an idiot right he has to be right there's no way he can't be right he can't look like a fool and he keeps pulling keeps pulling keeps pulling in the door you know rips the door off the his door. but that's like that's doc to me just like i can't admit that i'm he, he, even though he kind of is when he plays paul reed more minutes you know what i mean even though it's yeah. just sort of like a you know ceremonial starting thing for DJ like any minutes for him at all at this point is just absurd yeah and also uh, Paul Reed does make Jaron Jackson look very careful out there you know like <laughs> when it comes to like accumulating fouls in a few minutes there are a couple of things that have like happened for the Sixers where it's like this isn't actually Doc's fault it's not Doc's fault that Matisse didn't get vaccinated and couldn't play in the Toronto series sure it's not Doc's fault that uh Joel Embiid got elbowed in the face, although is it Doc's fault that Joel Embiid was out there with three minutes left when they were up 29? You could make that argument. And yeah, the DeAndre thing is just like, it really does feel like a guy who's like, I am no longer going to be the coach of the Sixers, so I'm just 
completely defending my personal reputation here. Right. Because there doesn't seem to be any like um, maintenance to his position as the head coach of the Sixers. And it's all about like, I am defying the media who think that they know how to coach better than me, an NBA championship winning veteran coach. I was on multiple text threads yesterday with people wondering if Doc was intentionally trying to sabotage his last series so that he could go coach the Lakers. Not that, I don't think that's true, but that's how weird the DeAndre thing was because it's clearly such a bad fit. I mean, I don't love plus minus, but sometimes plus minus, like if you're, every time you play, you play seven, eight minutes and your team's minus nine, minus 10. At some point that means something, right? Like it yeah. meant something during those Perkins OKC years. Sorry, Tyler. Yeah, you're Thanks for um, but it just in general, like when something doesn't pass the sniff test, the other thing is like any sort of like sharp analytics mind would say, look, you're out, man. You don't have Embiid. He's your best player. He's either going to be the MVP or runner up MVP. Just, just mix it up, man. Play a bunch of short dudes, shoot a ton of threes, try to have some variance. Maybe you'll hit 25 threes and you can swing this. Otherwise, there's no route at all for you to win this game. Right. You're not beating them conventionally. It's never happening. You're not winning. And they just won't do that. I just think that in his nightmares, he's going to see Bam getting offensive rebounds. And that's something that he can't take. Like, I think that for a guy who's just like, I have a, a couple of seven-footers on this bench, so I cannot in good conscience play Thibel at center or play Tobias at, at stretch five or something like that and watch Bam essentially just like play Papa shot on us for the rest of the series. So he's just going to do this. It just hurts him fundamentally as a coach. Yeah, it's like, I think it's just as like his like basketball disposition is such that he is like, I cannot watch this happen. And then last night when we when the Sixers were playing the Heat, like they just couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. So going small wouldn't really have mattered. Tyler, you think Dave, Dave Yerger, Yerger, Jerger? Jaeger. How do we say his name? Jaeger? I think it's Jaeger. Yeah. Dave yeah. Jaeger. You think he like brought it up like very tentatively one day or the coaches have a coffee at like 8.30? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Doc if we should just shoot a punch of threes. Don't do small. it, Dave. He They're like, don't do it, Dave. Don't, 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 don't bring it up. Do it. He's going to get super pissed. No, no, do it later. Do it like he, you know, Doc gets a little <laughs> groggy around 3.30. Do it then. He's like, no, no I'm going to do, do it, do it now. Do it ask him, now. Ask him before, before his driving range session. Like before, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe like, Doc, can I hit some balls with you? Maybe maybe does that. Uh, let's take a break, and then we're going to do uh, number two and number one on the title list. You can make every NBA playoff game feel like game seven, which we have not yet had yet, on FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA throughout the playoffs. All customers can place a no-sweat, same-game parlay each week. You'll get up to $20 in free bets if you don't win. FanDuel, so many ways to play best of all when you do win. You'll get paid faster than a fast break. For the Friday night games, I would be looking at Phoenix to sweep Dallas. Phoenix right now, they're either it's even or they're like getting a half point. Maybe it'll get to a point by game time. I like them. I still like the over. Maybe do a little adjusted, bring that down to like 216, something like that. Get a little money line on it. And then you figure DeAndre Ayton, He's not going to have nine points and get in foul trouble again. He'll have more. I'd go 10 plus points for him, 10 plus points for Bridges, six plus assists for Chris Paul. You can patch it together and you'll be good to go. If you're new to FanDuel, download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Sign up with promo code BS. Once again, that's promo code BS. And if you already have an account, you're all set to bet. No sweat. Either way, you'll get up to $20 in free bets if your same game parlay during the playoffs doesn't win. FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. 
You must be 21 plus in select states. Refund issued is non-withdrawable. Free bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max free bet, $20 per week. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Connecticut, 888-789-777. In Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, 1-800-GAMBLER. In Michigan, 800-270-7117. 1-877-770-STOP. In Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Tennessee red line is 800-889-9789. And in West Virginia, 1800-GAMBLER.net. All right, Tyler. I don't know if we talked about Doc Rivers enough. This clearly feels like the last series for him, Chris. You're a yeah. Sixers fan. This feels it, like the uh, the end of the road. Are we... So Mike D'Antoni next year, is this even a good job for Mike D'Antoni? Because I feel like if I'm him and I look at LaMelo and LaMelo's just this race car in the garage and and it's, I'm not sure I trust the engineers and I'm not sure I trust, you know, the model, but I know that car goes fast and I know I've succeeded with Jeremy Lin and Nash and all these other dudes. And it's like, I kind of want to get in that LaMelo ball race car. Uh, what do you think he does? Yeah, I mean, it's also a question of like, what's a lesson? Would would Mike D'Antoni prefer to be in a more or less intense environment? I think that the Sixers are always going to be one of the most talked about franchises for as long as like yeah. Daryl's there. There's always this possibility of some weird trade, of some drama going on. Whereas in Charlotte, I think you could probably just be a league pass like all star team and and have and have like a sick offense and and start to tinker with Lamelo and make him into Steve Nash three point Isn't that what what he would want at this point in his career? I feel like well, it is. I mean, I think Philly's probably closer to a championship contender than Charlotte is. So if you're Mike D'Antoni and you're like this is the last ride, then you probably no, want to go Philly. Tyler. I'm going legacy <laughs> if I'm Mike D. You're not winning a title with this Philly team. I'm going. I'm going full. Seven seconds or sun, 2023. What is, how, how does this add to my, to my, uh, my hagiography, right. basically? Yeah. I, mean, I, I think personally, like, I would rather just have <laughs> Taylor Jenkins. <laughs> like, I would just rather, can we just get another Chris Finch? Like, is there just another nurse guy out there who's like, yeah, here's how you win basketball games? Yeah. What do you think, Tyler? He, like, does, do you think that Harden's going to be there next year? Do you think oh, that Dan Tony wants like all of that, you know, baggage and drama also entering the mix? You've got just, you know, in just the Sixers in general, right? Like it's just like a charged up situation. You've got Embiid who's, you know, never shying away from the sad thing this time around is it's not even like Icarus, where it's like he scores 42 but then goes out all night and sucks right. the next game. It's like he's just slow. He's just got old. So, I mean, he's not getting separation. He's not getting that blow by stuff and it's just tough and his shot just seems a little like do you have both contacts in you know like are we sure <laughs> uh he's slow and he lost his legs he lost his burst it's not there anymore nba history tells us nine out of ten times it doesn't come back there's a case where he could go chris paul plant diet and just completely try to change his body and try to recapture it but are you betting $270 million on that? So when we get, I mean, this is probably going to be the subject of like 17 podcasts over the course of the next couple of months. But when we look yeah. back on it, will the Simmons-Harden trade be the least consequential blockbuster ever? I tried oh. to make that case as it was happening. But people, that, we were that all I like thought there like, was a chance that it might actually be a sucky trade for everybody. Yeah. I mm. mean, I, I just, 
I, I don't like the idea. It's not my money. I don't like the idea of them paying him the maximum amount in 36 if this is what he looks like at 32. I could see what Tyler, maybe two years 80 or two years 85 to at least like buy the chance that he might come back. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, like, you know, you don't want to lose him for nothing. I'm Tyler's out. I, I, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a hardened guy. I, it, it's, if I were Dan Tony, I would take the Charlotte job in a heartbeat and I wouldn't Me think too. two seconds about it personally. I like, the hardened thing that scares me is he's getting to that point now that a lot of old players do where when they fall, you can tell they were really worried about it and they're falling as slow as they possibly can. That's like me and right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like a very, it's it's like how Shaq used to fall when he was late in his career. It was just yeah. almost like a it's cow. A mummified. Fall, you get a little you know? mummified. Yeah. Bill's, got, <laughs> Bill's got cue cards like Brando and the Godfather. It's just yeah, like I'm, I'm not even here right now. Dylan Berkey CGI'd me. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I would be super nervous about tying my future to Harden. And plus, Embiid, it's not like he's been a picture of health either. I look at for D'Antoni with Charlotte, like just the LaMelo, all the stuff he loves. LaMelo's one weakness is he can't guard anybody. So you tell that to Mike D and he's like, I'm even more intrigued. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Wait, so you're telling me our defense is going to be awful? Neither can I. We <laughs> got that in common. This sounds awesome. <laughs> You've had my curiosity. Now you have my attention. <laughs> All right. Who's number two, Tyler? Uh, Ann Edwards Jr. Mm. Anthony Edwards' dog uh, has his own Twitter account <laughs> that uh, Edwards made for him. Uh, yeah. th- the dog tweets in the first person. It's one of the best things in my life right now. Yeah. Um, it uh, he calls Edwards pops. Edwards went on NBA Today, and he I mean he's like, and if people people that follow the NBA know this, I'm not saying anything surprising, but he's one of the most likable players to come to the NBA in a long, long time. And watching him get interviewed is honestly just fun to me personally. Yeah, and I do not think that with a lot of athletes because, like we were saying earlier, there is sort of a very the answers can get very stereotypical and. It, Edwards is still young enough. He's not that way at all. And they asked him about, about, the, about the Twitter account, about the dog. And you could tell they thought he was just going to kind of maybe just joke around about it. And he just was completely sincere about how much he loves his dog. He said, hey, he's the best dog in the world, man. Somebody just asked me, what is my dog doing right now? I said, he's watching himself, man. He knows how to feed himself. He knows how to let himself outside. He knows how to do everything. He's my best friend. He's the best thing that happened to me as far as joining the NBA. And like, he's always there. If I have a bad game, I go home and he's going to be the same person no matter what. He, It's it like, I mean, I, I, I love it. I love it so much. I, oh my God. I think I've texted Jimmy Kimmel maybe five times in the last, since I left the show with like, you should have this person on as a guest. Oh yeah. And I sent him all the Anthony Edwards Jr. I was like, this is like, there's never been a celebrity more in your wheelhouse than Anthony Edwards. This is the most likable athlete. He's in the running for most likable celebrity. Like if he had been the Met Gala, I would have been excited. If he was added to season three euphoria and was on an episode, I'd be like, that's amazing. Great choice. If he got, can't just, wait to see how that goes. I honestly want the twins just to sign him so that he can keep being in, in, in the sports public eye for the summer. Like I just want him to be like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go out and play right field for a week or two. And <laughs> yeah, in the I mean, meantime, I'll like... do all the dugout interviews. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Let's talk through this. He's such a good athlete. He He's could talked be, about like, it. He's like, I don't... Uh, he he could have been in the yeah. NFL. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because like Michael Jordan, he had to do, you know, he's six foot six. There's some holes with the baseball thing. I do think Edwards could go out there and go like one for four. Probably, probably chase out a warning contact. track fly ball. Yeah, no problem. Somebody should just challenge him. Hey, Edwards, can you, you think you could make the twins right now? He'd be like, what do you mean? <laughs> I've already made them. <laughs> he would get, I mean, that's the, that, that interview that he, where they asked him about that, that's the same interview that he said that he thinks he's the best defender in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, you could, you get both. You get the sincerity of like, I love my dog. And you get the irrational kind of confidence. Uh, and maybe that's true about him one day. I mean, he's um, could be a monster on that end, right? But like right, right now, obviously, it's not, but I love the, yeah. He's my favorite. Please protect him at all costs. I feel like the 2009, 10, 11 OKC, right. when they had all those young guys together, I just love those guys. And I even went for no reason at all. I wasn't even writing about them. I just went down to go see a game and go to a practice and just meet Durant and Westbrook and Presty and all these dudes. I just I kind of, he, I yeah, I just wanted to go. Going, yeah. I remember hearing you talk about, I like, I remember hearing you talk about going to that practice and how they were just like going at each other's heads the whole time. That it was just like full bore. Yeah. yeah. There was a lot of, a lot of like good testosterone in that practice. A lot That's of like amazing. people competing against each other in sprints. But Edwards to me is like, just protect that dude. That's why they have to trade Russell. We just need him out. Yeah. He's, He's like uh, Axe's wife and billionaires. So she's like, we just got to get her out. <laughs> Every safer that we're bringing the show down, let's get her out. Put her on a, yeah. Yeah, it's like, all right, great. They're getting divorced. She's out. Great. Good move. Russell is uh, the Axe's wife for this situation. I'm with you. All right, number one on the list. Let's hear it. Number one, we're, we're just, in, just in general, because this is what they want, the referees. Oh, the yeah. Referees mm, have been... Great choice. In, 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 I want to highlight in particular... And I'll do the I'll do the 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 the, the not as consequential one first. Tony Brothers, specifically just for the back-to-back charge calls that he had last night, where I've just never seen a, an official really try to take over a game on back-to-back plays like that, where he's like almost attempting to refute himself. You know? Yeah. One thing with Brothers, there's a lot of photos, and I found one last night and tweeted it of players and coaches, like multiple, like three, four, five people, all in complete disbelief (laughs) and really not even upset, just like kind of hurt and confused by a call. He's one of the leaders of that. Scott Foster, people get fucking mad at. Brothers, it's more like just people with their arms up going, what? I don't understand. Are you watching the same game? Yeah, Yeah. right. (laughs) Brothers, yeah, you talk about those young, you talk about those young OKC teams. Brothers is one of the was like the first ref that Durant had a problem with, mm. and it, everybody was like, "What's what is going on here?" Durant, he, Durant's never you know upset about incredibly nice else. guy by all accounts. Yeah, um, I have a ref before you get to your next one. Go ahead. This is one my dad and I have had multiple texts about. It's my dad's least favorite ref. <laughs> you know him as number thirty nine, white guy Tyler Ford. He did uh, game two of the Bucks Celtics. Okay. And he has reached the status of when you see him, it's just an immediate bummer. You're like, oh, man. <laughs> oh, no. So, Tyler, step it up. He went to, um, he's refereed 233 regular season games, six season. Oh, yeah, um, this guy. Yeah, that guy. He's a short crew cut. Yeah. Kind of looks like the, the bad guy cop in about seven HBO shows. Right. Um, yeah, like a nondescript Marine who was yeah. doing some stuff he shouldn't have been doing. He goes rogue 
Look, he he might show up and we own the city, Chris. We can just see him in episode four going rogue. With like, you know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> you don't tell me how to police. Uh, who else do you have, Tyler? I mean, Scott Foster was yeah. the, num- was the yeah. number one. I, it, I'm, for, you could pick any... The Extender. He has a nickname now, The Extender. An, un- an unbelievable nickname, by the way. The, yeah. but I was recently on a on a flight with uh, Scott Foster. I sat next to him. And, Did he extend uh, the flight? Yeah, when we got to the <laughs> when we got to the gate, he was just like, "Nobody deboard yet. We're just gonna <laughs> we're gonna soak it in. Let's just sit in each other's breath for a little while longer here." I'm gonna stand what in front of y'all. Everybody, look at me. Look at me the whole time. But just we're just gonna hang out here for a while. It's. I mean, this has been 20 plus years with this guy. What he, else were you gonna say about him, Tyler? No, I mean there was the there was the moment in the Celtics Bucks game where him and Ed Malloy got caught on the mic'd up thing, being like, "Who's Jack Harlow?" Yeah, and Harlow tweeted that out, and they, of course, because it they have to figure out a way to get some eyeballs on them, and they want to be stars. They then the the official NBA referee account does some basically like a little short parody video of, uh of Harlow's video for his song Nail Tech. Mm. They try to like kind of do their own version of that. And so you've got Scott Foster with like a rolling suitcase going through a hotel lobby, like dapping, you know, Stu Jackson up or whatever, you know, ignoring other people, stuff like that. And it, it, they, they go, they go to the car. It was one of those things. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen like, you know how you see sometimes a bunch of teachers get together and do like a sketch to let the students know what the rules are for that mm. year or something. Yeah. And it's like a bunch of, it's a bunch of teachers just sort of dancing along and trying to look cool and funny. It reminded me a lot of that, like it's sort of like a bunch of like youth ministers who are, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> trying to like let, let loose a little bit. But Fo- Foster's, there was a, I played high school basketball in like a tiny country town in Oklahoma. And we played in this tournament once where our locker room, we had to share it with the officials for that game. <laughs> there was an office within the locker room, and that was where the officials changed. We did not realize this until <laughs> at halftime. We were already in there. We're going through the, you know, whatever, halftime. And uh, official comes out. He's holding like a thing. It's almost like it looks like a can of spray paint or something. We don't know what is going on. It says, boys, turns or walks to the sink, turns around. It's Moose. He puts moose in his hand and he mooses his hair there at halftime while we're going over our halftime adjustments. Was it Scott Foster? (laughs) (laughs) After the game, uh, we're sitting there going through, you know, post-game talk, everything like that. All of a sudden, door to the office swings open, out walks this exact same official, buck naked, says, good game, boy, (laughs) and walks to the show. And that he had to get the Scott moose out. Foster. That's the Scott Foster energy to me. That is yeah. what I think of when I think of Scott Foster. Just total obliviousness, always center of attention. You know, yeah. like also looks like a villain in a team. He's the third like the FBI bad dad agent. In a team He's movie. just the guy standing next to the guy and his partner. Yeah. And you're just like, why do I know this guy's face? Has he been in every single <laughs> Die Hard movie? Like, what is this? Yeah. And like, This has been... This goes back to the 70s. I mean, there's been referees my whole life that took this kind of stature where you saw them, these guys, they almost become like the sheriff in a low-budget action movie. Like back in the day for us, Jack Madden was like the guy that the Celtic fans 
never. He had this famous call in the 1973 playoffs when the Knicks made this comeback and the fans were convinced Jack Madden hated the Celtics. But there are, there are all these fan bases that are convinced Scott Foster hates them. You yeah. know, or he hates their team or he's working against them. And then there's probably some other fan bases that like seeing him. I remember my dad and I went to game five of the 2008 NBA Finals after the big comeback. Celts are up 3-1. And we thought we were going to close them out. We were super excited. And we saw Scott Foster and we were like, oh, man. And guess what he did? The extender <laughs> did his job. There was some <laughs> extending. And the series went back to Boston. But I just, I think he likes... He, I think he likes thriving against the crowd is one yeah. of the things with him. Although I guess he did it in Memphis. He was in Memphis in game two. But some of these guys like going into the to the den and just kind of swimming against the stream. You know, they like the energy of it. Pavetta was like that too. Why, why do you think that in situations where it's not going to be like, like you know, he doesn't stand to extend the series, right? Like it's a game seven or something like that. And it's a situation where it's, you know, Chris Paul's playing in it, or it's one of these players that he's got a vendetta against, or it's Joey Crawford, Tim Duncan, and stuff like that. What does the in, NBA have to gain by keeping them on that? You know, it's like, like are there not well, enough so, good rest that they can't just, so that that's not a talking point? They know that they've taken care of that. Like I think they enjoy it. Yeah. I, here's my non-conspiracy take. I think the series ebbs and flows. So like coming out of game two, Boston's going to send the, all the Giannis charges that weren't called in that game in game two, right? They're going to send it sure. to the league office. They're going to be like, hey man, Giannis is just bowling over people. Like he's not Earl Campbell. Like this is a basketball game. Like it, we're not, this is not a running back who's trying to get to the goal line. You got you to gotta crack down on this. So then the refs go into the game and they have these things in their head. All right. If Giannis does that, I'm calling it this time. If somebody's jumping over the back on the rebound, I saw that tape, I got to crack down on that. And I think they go into the game. It's not like they're biased. They're biased against what the instructions of the league were. Sure. To say, hey, man, this is drifting too far this way. You got to pull that back. That last game was way too physical. You got to crack down early first quarter. A lot of fouls. And I think that's, I'd like to think the magnanimous side of me would like to think that's how it goes. That makes the sense? magnanimous side. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I hope. That's what I, I just what think, I hope is happening. I, I think the the shame really is this isn't that funny. Is just that in the beginning of the season with the changes that they made to uh, the 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 foul calls with like Harden and Trey Young and everybody and right. and hunt and looking for for calls there, it felt like the flow of the game was so much better. It just felt like games had a little bit more back and forth, a little bit more up and down. Yeah. And that guys weren't getting rewarded for stuff. And now it just seems to, I guess it does in every playoffs, have grinded to a halt with a lot of this. A lot I of like that it's more physical. The, the Dylan Brooks thing, I think, was. Yeah. Well, that. When you're and, getting more physical, you're going to have more yeah. outcomes like the Dylan yeah. Brooks thing. All right. We got to go. Tyler Parker, read him on the ringer.com. Chris Ryan, hear him on the watch, hear him on the rewatchables. Last week, this week, we're doing uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2. One star from Roger Ebert. We'll talk about <laughs> yeah. that, but uh, we'll cover that on uh, on Monday night. Anyway, good seeing you guys. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, "Man, why did that happen?" If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, "I did it! I made it happen!" But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need. 
Have coverage options to protect the things you value most. File claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, Jackie McMullen is here fresh off her uh, her fantastic Icons Club podcast about the NBA legends. Um, it, was, it was a big, big, big one. Took a lot of time. It was almost like writing a book, right? It was like writing a book, and except for the, the number of chapters kept changing. <laughs> <laughs> we so, got there, though. We did. Yeah, no, I'm happy. I think I'm happy with it. I hope people were. It was, uh, you know, long and arduous, but worth it. It was, I enjoyed, uh, I care about the past, and it was fun to talk to some of those past legends that I think get forgotten sometimes. So, Me too. I care about the past, then the present. Where Chris Paul is part of the past and the present is still yeah. still destroying he, everybody doing his thing. And he was great in the Icons Club. He was, yeah. he was very good. Yeah. Let's talk uh, Celtics Bucks. It feels like the winner of this series is making the finals. The defense yeah. is at a level that's out of the 90s and 2000s and mm. even a little smarter, more sophisticated. And you have Giannis at the peak of his powers. You have Tatum potentially swimming in the pool now with these guys. I don't know if I'm willing to say he's officially a top four, top five guy yet, but he's he's definitely in the bathing suit with his feet in the water. Um, but just the Giannis piece first, we talked about a little on Sunday with Rosillo, like just clearly the best guy in the league now. They, 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 what is it about him that jumps out to you having watched his whole career? Well, if you start with game one, you know, struggled a bit from the floor. But I've always said the most underrated part of Giannis is his court vision and his ability to find the open player. I think something like 13 of his 18 passes led to Bucks baskets. So even when he, he's not scoring efficiently, he's finding the open man. And, yeah. you know, big guys don't generally do that. And, and I remember Bud telling me way, way back when I was talking to them, Giannis was in the early process of developing and becoming who he became. And I don't think Bud was even his coach yet. I asked him like, when, when you first got with him, like, what was the thing? And he said, it was absolutely his ability to see the whole floor for a guy who hadn't played a lot of basketball. Cause I, I'll contend that that's the one skill that you either have it or you don't. And if yep. you have it, you can, you can enhance it. But if you don't have it, it's really hard to learn how to develop it. And I think Giannis has had it from the jump. And so aside from his physical, you know, presence and his composure, which I think is a really big part of his success also, Bill, he doesn't get rattled, even when he gets frustrated with the referee or something that Jason Tatum should learn a little bit about, frankly. He, he, he always maintains his composure. And when you're the leader and everybody's watching you, that's really important. You know, it's easy to forget now, like the 2013 draft, which I did, uh, the telecast for, and we were comparing him to Paul George because he was six foot nine. <laughs> and it was like, this is a small forward with who's athletic and has point guard skills. And then he started to grow when he went to Milwaukee, but Jason Kidd still tried to make him a point guard, mm-hmm. at least for a couple seconds there. He saw him as like this potential Magic Johnson C over everybody, right. court fishing guy. So he did always have this, but the difference now is Physically, he's become one of the most opposing players in the history of the league. I mean, it's like it's like Wilt, it's Shaq, it's right. LeBron, and it's mm-hmm. Giannis. These are the four guys that, if they want to get to the basket, 
the ref really has to think about, do I have to call this differently because of the physical advantages this guy right. has? What do but, I, what is my, what's my role here? And great body control, just incredible body control. And because it's great to be big and strong, but we've seen plenty of guys from come through, come through the league that don't have that same body control. In fact, when I watch um, Joel sometimes, I'm always like, whoa, slow down just a tad, you know? Yeah, sometimes when he lands, it makes you nervous. Right, yeah, right. Giannis, Giannis and LeBron always landed correctly. It's unbelievable, really. Yeah. So I, I think he's way more in the LeBron ballpark than I think I was ready to consider for a long time from a physicality standpoint, especially the second half of LeBron's career, LeBron, when you're talking about mm -hmm. like kind of 2014 through now, when he added the extra muscle, he kept the athleticism for the most part, but really kind of learned how to put a shoulder into people, how to just get to the basket, how to bounce off people. He was always going to get the right. call. Giannis to me feels the same way where Giannis is like, if I put my shoulder down, the other guy's going backwards. They will call it a couple times, but not every time. And this is, if my shot's not falling, I always have this. You know what I mean? Right. And that's why Celtics fans should be worried because, you know, he, he hasn't played great yet. I mean, he's done some amazing things, but he's averaging five and a half turnovers. That's yeah. not going to keep, I don't think that will continue. Uh, they got smart in the second half of game two, I thought, and started using their shooters as screeners. So, because, you know, Grant Williams, Rob Williams, Horford, they've all done an, a really great job on Giannis one-on-one. -on -one. They stopped, they started to realize you like at game one, they're trying to double team. That's, that's suicide. Yeah, that was, so, that was stupid. suicide. So now you're, you're playing them straight up. But, you know, if, if Grayson Allen, for instance, is setting that screen, you, you can't afford to do that. You've got to, you've got to account for him, especially at home in Milwaukee, because as we've learned from the history of NBA playoffs, guys like Grayson Allen, Bobby Portis, probably even Pat Connaughton, even though he's from New England, um, they're just going to play better at home. It's, an, it's a better environment for them, and they're going to hit open shots. So I, I'll be interested to see... If they go to that more, they also did a little bit of the dribble handoff with Giannis. I mean, they're going to find ways to use Giannis, even if it isn't getting him to score. And I, you know, he missed a lot of really easy shots. Yeah. A lot of drives to the basket where he was a little off balance. And that's a credit to Boston's defense for sure. But uh, I don't think we've seen the best of, uh, well, maybe we did in game one. Milwaukee's defense was incredible. But I, by no means is this, this series is to me is such a toss up, it really is. I said on Tuesday night, the one of the things that I think made Giannis so special now is that even when he's not very good, he still has this massive impact on a game. Right, he's impactful, yep. Which is yep. kind of like the last level. I think all the great, if we, you talk about Icons Club, like if we, if we just talk about like the best 15 guys ever, the best guys could always impact the game even if they weren't scoring, right? Or they right. could impact the game just by being out there or their physicality or something. I think it's something mm -hmm. actually Shaq was maybe, if you're talking like top 12, 13, 14 guys ever, Shaq was somebody that sometimes he could disappear from a game, right? He'd get in foul trouble or his foul shots would go sideways, something like that. But, you know, somebody like Jordan, somebody like LeBron. Mm -hmm. LeBron can not shoot well in a game, but he can still do 19 other things. He's always present. He's always in the game. 100%. And that was what I felt like Giannis out of anybody we have now, even if he's not good, he's still going to be really good in the game, you know? And I think that's why he's the best. Yeah, he really, and he's so young. We haven't even seen the best of him yet, which is really scary because you look at um, his shooting and what he did from last year to this year and improved just the form of his shot. And, he, you know, obviously he's been shooting well in this series. And, and something else that I just don't believe will, 
I just don't think he's going to shoot 38% for this series yeah. from the floor. I, I don't believe it. And the three-point shooting, you know, I've never been sold. I understand why they have him do it. You know, Bud loves the threes, but that's the other thing for game three. There's no way on this earth the Bucks will shoot only 18 three-point shots. That's not happening either. Right. The shot chart from Giannis from like the last couple of years to this year, even that's changed. He's another yeah. piece if we're talking Icons Club and somebody like him. He does seem like he tries to add and evolve each year. That's what you the know, great which ones is do. Another, yeah, that, yeah, the guys that we grew up with, that's what made them different. Each year they came back with something else and it seems like he's in that mode too. And you think about that'll be as Luca hits his mid-20s, whether he's in shape, and then what is he adding each year? What is he going to bring? Well, how about some defense? Might be a good start. I know. Just saying. <laughs> a little bit of defense. And he, and you can't tell me a guy like him can't do it. I don't believe that. I, I believe yeah. that he can. You know, people say Kyrie Irving doesn't defend. There were points that we've seen him where he gets his mind made up. He can put out, you know, he can perform beautifully on the defensive end. If he, so if much he actually trusts. Yeah. yeah, effort and, you know, because he certainly has the basketball intelligence to do it. And so does Luca for sure. So... Uh, you know, and Giannis already has that piece. I mean, Giannis is in the in the discussion every year for Defensive Player of the Year. Two-way players. You know, Paul know. George, We I remember um, coming out of uh, USA Basketball, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, particularly Tatum, you know, Greg Pava just pulled him inside and said, you could be Paul George. You could be an elite two-way player. And he challenged him to do that. And last year, as you and I discussed, he fell short on, uh, really on both counts. And this yep. year, uh, you can't give Jason Tatum a, enough credit for what he's done this year because he someone got to him whether it was Ime or Brad Stevens or all of the above or his agents or whomever or maybe just himself he started to understand ISO doesn't get it done move the ball trust your teammates the ball always comes back to you when you yeah. do that and I think that's the biggest leap for Tatum if you look at his assist totals he's just shared the ball so beautifully and consistently the la especially the latter part of this year and that's why, to me, he's make he's taking that next step and the up. defense. Well, yeah, I don't the think defense I don't think he could have done the. I don't think yeah. he could have done what he did to Durant in the first series a year ago. Well, he wasn't willing to, right? He was so frustrated all the time, and you know, his. He, I think he's just grown up, right? These, these kids are young. These guys are all young. Giannis is still young. How old is Giannis? He's twenty six, I think. I mean, come on, twenty seven, something like that. That these yeah. guys are so young. So much growth to be had still for these guys. Um. You were at game one. Were you at game two, too, for Bucks celtics I was not. I was Yeah, not. you were at game one. Um, yes, I was. Which was a frustrating... Oh, the December, brutal. The, the yeah. December Celtics, right. they, they yep. returned, came back. But you know what? But the Bucks made them come back. I mean, I give yeah. so much credit. You know, they we've known forever what Bud's strategy is, and that is build a wall in the paint, dare you to beat us from the three-point line. And that's, that's how they're going to live and die. That's been true you know, from the very beginning. And I think, you know, you, I couldn't, you know, Brooke Lopez was so important in that game one. He was just a tyrant in the paint and the way he, I don't know how many blocks he had. It didn't matter. It was the amount of shots he altered, right? That stat that doesn't show up yeah. in your traditional stat line. He was so important. And, you know, the Celtics got smart in game two. They said, all right, this guy's got a lot of miles on him. He's a little older. Let's not bow right into him. Let's like him, let's make him move. Let's make him you know, get out of position, make them uncomfortable, make them yeah, have to little side to side action. Right. And I think that made a, a huge difference. But I, I give the Bucks as bad as the Celtics were. I think that had so much to do with what Milwaukee did to them. Drew Holiday was fantastic. 
know, game one. And I, I don't know what his shooting percentage was. It wasn't great. All I know is every time they needed a big shot, he made it every time. And that's that's the underrated part of game two about Jalen Brown, too. As great as he was offensively, he did a great job on holiday in game two, I thought. Well, Jalen, you and I text a lot about Jalen, wondering we do. what his yes. consistency and his ceiling, just where are we going with this? And I thought that was a weirdly important game for him. Oh, They tremendous. needed him to show up in a real way. There was a scenario where if he was bad again, that starts to become a little bit of a story. Like, wait a second, can we count as this guy as a true number mm-hmm. two in a championship team or not? He was so bad in game one. It almost seemed like, is he hurt? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. He'll have those every once in a while, but he responded big time. I'm still not sure he's 100% healthy. He's also going against, you know, Holiday, who really had a bug up his ass this series. My theory was the Marcus Smart defensive player of the year stuff Could where be. Holiday's like, oh, Okay. So I'm not the best defensive guard anymore. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he's been a man possessed. I mean, the full court pressure with him. Right. You mentioned some of the offense where he's doing that Oscar Robertson spin stuff, going back and forth, getting to the basket. And Jalen, I thought, stepped up to the challenge. So that was encouraging. And yet, I have no idea what he's going to play like in game three. I know Tatum will miss some shots, but I know generally what I'm getting from Tatum mm-hmm. for the most part. The field goal attempts and whether he's getting calls, that's usually the variable with him. Jalen can just suck sometimes, you yeah, know? And, and I think it's it's not like a lack of effort or a lack of preparation with Jalen Brown. My, this is just my opinion. I think he just wants it so badly, he presses and yep. forces the action. That's 100% in my mind what he did in game one. You know, Jalen Brown's at his best when he's flying downhill into the teeth of defenses, actually better in transition, of course, much like Ben Simmons at his best when he's in the open court and he comes barreling down the court and he's really, really hard to stop. And I think Jalen Brown just made up his mind. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to score and force the issue. And, And the stuff that was driving me nuts in game one was, you know, the I always hate the ISO and both he and Jay Jason fall into that occasionally, you know, and I thought in game one, there was some of that and that's bad enough. But then when you start dribbling the ball between your legs and moving, you know, what are you doing? Make yeah. a move, make yep. a move and live or die with it. And because, you know, of all the things that happened with Jalen in game one, seven turnovers. I mean, that is just unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. And give him credit. He, he did everything he needed to do to respond in game two. And I thought the biggest thing he did was just let the game slow down, slow yeah. down. You know, they, his first bucket, which I'm sure was by design, was that little mid-range pull-up jump shot, which he can hit in his sleep. That's a great shot for him, no matter what the analytics guys say. Both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can hit that shot, and they should hit that, especially in a series like this. And, you know, they did a better job, I thought, of screening for him. I think everybody was just in a hurry, game one, right? Everybody. And and I do think there was a little 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 bit of overconfidence, too. You know, I read, um, I forget who, and I apologize to whoever did write it, an interview with Grant Williams in advance of that series, talking about how he was going to stop Giannis. And I'm like, Oh, what no. are you doing? Yeah. Why are you talking about this? Why is anyone letting you talk about this? You know, the idea that you could stop Giannis is absurd. And he said, you know, he said that. But just to even discuss what you might do to try to stop him is just not a good idea. So I just I don't think they came in with the right mindset. You know, I thought it was great what the Bucks did in game one in terms of jumping their their ball handlers and, you know, trapping them like Derek White 
Derek White brought the ball up the court, and all of a sudden, these two huge seven-foot guys are surrounding him. And he was like, what the hell? I mean, he wasn't ready for it. The coaching staff obviously didn't expect it. You know, there were I think he had three turnovers in that game. So yeah. the Bucs did a lot of really smart, good things. They're a well-coached team. So I just, you know, the Bucs will do something smart again in game three to counter this. That's just how it's going to be. The full-court pressure, I was waiting for a team to do that to the Celtics because... Mm-hmm. They might have set the record this year for the most successful team that didn't have anybody who could dribble more than 10 feet Isn't without so potentially funny? like getting right. butterfingers or whatever. Like nobody on this team has like a lights out handle. Right. And the Bucks went into game one. You could feel it immediately. They're like, all right, we're going to make you dribble all over the court. And we don't right. trust that you can do that. Right. And then we're going to make you pick up the dribble and pass out of a double team, which the scouting yeah. report on Derek White suggests that perhaps maybe he wasn't very good at that. So. Yeah, that trade, be, it's a fun series. Yeah, that trade, that's going to be the, uh, that trade will be discussed if the Celtics lose this series because you, one of the reasons you get Derek White is insurance in case any of the guards get hurt or Jalen Brown right. gets hurt. And this is a guy, he was on Team USA. He had some big moments with the Spurs. Mm-hmm. You would think for what they paid, first yeah, round we, pick, we, pick we, swap, We both love the trade, Richardson. right? We both yeah. love the trade. I still do. I think defensively he's held up his end. I mean, I... I'm not big on plus minus in general box scores. He was a plus 22. But as you know, real plus minus is the better in- indicator of that because it tells you who you're guarding and all that. So defensively, he's he's doing his job. But, you know, he looks to me like a guy that's instead Nervous. of taking a shot and saying, I'm going in, I'm, I hope it goes in. No, no, you got to say, man, this thing's going in. Like Jalen Brown, even when he struggles, do you ever doubt that he thinks that shot's going in? No, it's he, he's sure it is. There's a weird and, confidence thing with White. Yeah, right now there you is. You can yeah. feel it. I haven't gone to, I'm going to go to game five, I think. Mm-hmm. The, uh, when he shoots the open three, you can tell from the crowd reaction as he's shooting it and when it misses that the crowd doesn't think it's going in either. Like now, right. <laughs> nobody in the room thinks it's going in, which is a bad place. to. Yeah, I'm going bad. way back. You were covering this team. Gerald Henderson would have moments like this oh, with the goodness. crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. the guy used to sit in our row. He just couldn't stand Henderson. Henderson, wide open whatever, he'd miss it. And the guy would be like, Henderson! And he would just like slap his leg. But he was yeah, one of those... It's the worst thing. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because when the whole crowd's going, oh, come on, please go in. Yeah, that's not exactly what you need to... Uh, he doesn't have the greatest body language either. They should they should have like a body language um, rehab person work with him. Just be like, <laughs> no, stick your chest out. Look look right. like you belong, all that stuff. I want to talk about Ime Adoka, which brings me to... State Farm. When a new season starts, some fans assume they know who has the best chance of making the playoffs in the finals, but then a 500 team catches fire at the perfect time and has a magical title run down the road that surprises everyone. Well, I'm surprised by Ime Adoka. We haven't talked about Ime Adoka enough on this podcast, and especially like first couple months was really, what is this guy doing? Like, I don't mm-hmm. understand it. Yeah, it's and very hands-off, very hands-off in the, couple, the first tough, couple months. Yeah, the toughness that he's been able to instill, which I think, I think when I talk to people around the league, they're so impressed that this Celtics team is now tough. It was mm-hmm. not a tough team. This was a team that got bullied, that got knocked around, that um, would immediately crater the first time. Right. They weren't getting calls, all this stuff. There was a great moment where Sill and I had talked about it on Sunday when in the second quarter of game one when they sucked. And they just like had two bad plays in a row and he called timeout and the camera got to him and he was just mad and he, and he goes, the fuck are we doing? Like he just yeah, yeah. was like a frustrated, like, you know, 11th grade teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But what have you heard from being around the team just about him and his personality and how he was able to crack through with some of these guys? Well, it's kind of interesting because uh, like you, the first couple of months, I'm like, is he going to call them out for all these ridiculous, stupid things they are doing? Is he going to make them be accountable when they're yelling at the refs instead of getting back in defense? All the things that drove me crazy about the Celtics last year. And he was strangely, at least to me, strangely silent, silent those first couple of months. And even his own coaching staff, because I would talk to some of them from time to time, would say, we want him to get in their grill. But I think he, you know, honestly, Bill, I think he was building trust first. And then when he got that trust, then he's like, okay, here's what you're not going to do anymore if you want to play for me. And then he had some accountability from them because he had built up their trust in them. Because I think those guys, all of them coming off last year, were a little bruised. And I don't care how good you are and how great you are. You, you know, Tatum was mad he didn't make all NBA. Jalen Brown made the all-star team and then was like, what the heck? You know, he didn't, he didn't even play in the playoffs last year. So I think they came in a little um, salty, but also a little, you know, bruised, for lack of a better word. And I think he built up some trust with them. And now when he lays down the hammer, they know he means it. It's not for show. It's not for the cameras. It's because they need it and they respond to it. And he's, he's tough on them. These film sessions, he's tough on them. And, you know, Brad Stevens was, I think, one of the, I think he's one of the best X and O coaches I've ever seen. But that's not his personality to get yep. in your grill and let you have it. It never was. And, and, and maybe, in, you know, I think in the end, after a few years, that's why his voice was, they were having trouble hearing his voice. So uh, give, give him a, a ton of credit. I was worried about that staff. I thought there's not enough experience on that staff. But he brought his Portland boys with him. And by all accounts, they've been a great support system for him. You know, Will Hardy is a star. Yeah, I'm, I'm really star. surprised he's not in the coaching mix for some of these openings, but I'm glad he's not because well, I know, you know, why? I know I how he, highly everyone thinks of him. I Look, this is just me speculating, but I wouldn't be shocked if he gets that Spurs job whenever Pop decides he's done. Oh, so you believe in that conspiracy theory? I do. That I do. The, there was a rumor going around that that's why Becky Hammond went to WNBA because it was known that Will Hardy was oh, getting well, I, that job when Pop stepped down. And I never knew... I, I, I don't, still don't know if that's true, but I'd always I don't heard either. that he I don't was either. waiting. All, all I know is that everybody has this incredible respect for Will Hardy, who looks, you know, for those of you who don't know what he looks, he looks like he's 21 years old. <laughs> he looks like this, you know, and he, but he's just impressive. He's He has done the interview circuit in the past. He's interviewed for head jobs. He Everybody comes out of there, think, very impressed. So I do think it will be his time. He's locked in, like going to the games. Him and Nime really have a really nice... Yeah, well, they've known each other, you know. They're they both have a nice thing. Spurs. He'll hop up and he'll tell him stuff, and it's yeah, never yeah, yeah. there's never like a dynamic of why the fuck are you telling me this now? It's the fourth oh, quarter. Oh no, no, like, they've been through it together. You know, yeah. they both grew up in the Spurs organization, and it feels um, a little so, Tibbs docky, actually. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. I think he's really valuable. I'm surprised. I watch the assistant coaches all the time. It's like one of my favorite things to do when when they pan to the bench and things are going south. Because one of one of the guys that I hope gets another chance someday because I. He was quirky and all, but I think he's a really good co coach is Dave Yeager, you know, and he's on the... Uh, I, I was just going to mention that. Yeah, and he's yeah. on that Sixers bench. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> <He is>. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny to watch him. And I don't really know what he's thinking or saying, but I watch him and I'm like, because he can't help himself, you know? Yeah. He, he, he just, he's expressive. He really can't help it. But, you know, they're, well, they're in trouble. They struck oil with uh, Udoka. It, yeah, it, that was yeah. really turned out. Man, was I nervous about it. I went to one game first two months 
And it just seemed like he didn't like the team. Like, well, he, do you like blame he had him? a demeanor. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't blame him. But he had this demeanor to him. Like, I can't, basically, I can't fucking believe what I'm watching for four mm. quarters. And I was like, this isn't good. And it made me think, like, I wonder where this goes. Though one guy that he really seemed to like was smart. And mm-hmm. smart would come over and they would talk and they seemed like they had some connectivity. Right. And I think that's evolved to the point that that's got to be one of the reasons smart kind of blossomed the way he did as a two-way player. But that's smart too. As That's just smart's personality. No matter who's yeah. coaching him, he's the guy that you, you whether you like it or not, he's going to be right there in front of you. So you, there's just some really endearing things about Marcus that makes it hard to turn your back on him, you know? All right, I'm glad we did that. Even when you assume a team won't see much of the postseason, there are always a few surprises along the way. It's like people that assume they can't afford great insurance, but then they discover that State Farm has surprisingly great rates. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get a quote today. I think whatever, however the season in series plays out, the one thing I think I, the two things I can take away from this season with the Celtics are, I do not think they will split up those two guys at least for a couple of years. I think this at least proves the level that they're playing at. Whether mm-hmm. Milwaukee's a touch better than them or not, they have the best player in the world that I'd be okay with the loss. You know, it's like one of these two, there's three really great teams right now and two of the three are in this series. And then the Marcus thing, I think now we're hitting a point where I could see maybe he retires with this team now. There's like a Marcus Smart retirement night. I would have said no way and. October, November seemed inconceivable. But he made the necessary adjustments too. So he goes out with that injury and he's out for a while and they're moving the ball. And he comes back and it's the trade deadline. And there were, you know, people interested in Marcus Smart. There's always people interested in Marcus Smart because as salaries go, his is pretty reasonable, really. Yeah. Who's now, especially for a guy who was now the defensive player of the year. And I, I, I'm, you know, I think there was some conversations that like, look, we want to keep you. But here's what we need you to do. You know, we don't need you to take 10 threes a game. We don't even need you to take six threes a game. We yeah. need you to distribute the ball and be that badass and be a leader. And and if, and if you do those things, we're going to be really good and, and we'll keep you. We want to keep you. And I, I'm, you know, that conversation, I think, had to happen. And he probably heard some of the Celtics need a real point guard stuff, I'm guessing. Yeah. Well, he was, was like, yeah. oh, we, but, so I'm not a real point guard. There, right. there did seem a little of that. It's great. Look, there's going to be no shame how this series plays out, I think, for either team. If the Bucks lose, they can point to the Middleton thing, who I thought they really and, missed him in game two. And that's a real guy who was rightfully so, yeah, crunch time right. scorer in the finals last year. Yeah. And if the Celtics lose, I think it will at least partly be because Smart wasn't healthy. And, you know, he skips game two. My guess is they felt like they were going to get that one. The Bucks got the one they needed. They had the hmm. adjustments and they were just kind of hoping, all right, if we can steal this game, we buy Marcus now five, six more days here. Right. And now he's ready for the weekend. I think he's going to be ready for the weekend. You haven't heard anything, have you? Well, he said he, he wanted to play. Adolka says he played. You know, Brad's the only one. Um, Brad did radio here today in Boston and said, well, he's improving, but we'll have to wait and see. I'm, I'm not sure. So hmm. I'd be shocked if he doesn't play game three. Honestly, I was shocked he didn't play game two. I, th- I don't think he could move on no, that no, leg I'm at all. No, no, I'm not questioning. Yeah. I'm not questioning. I'm not questioning that because I was at surprised all. too, yeah. and then I heard like he can't push yeah, off well, the, the leg. Yeah, well, the fluid, the fluid had built up in his knee, so it was yeah. You know, the quad injury now then goes down to your knee and it all that area around your kneecap, and it's it was really really swollen. So I mean, he's a, he's a kid that plays. You know, um, 
He's a kid that plays. And I'll tell you, the worst thing in the world that happens to guys is when they don't play because of injury, the, the, the uh, stigma that gets attached to you when that happens, sometimes incredibly unfairly. Yeah. Sometimes not incredible. <laughs> I mean, but. he's the one guy where I was like, he must actually really be hurt if he's right, not playing. Right. Like, because yeah. he's a maniac. What's your prediction for this series? I'm going to bail on you. I just, it's too close to call after two games. I'm I agree. Sorry. I think I'm it, sorry. I just can't. I think it's just going to, they're going to take turns winning games and yeah. we'll get to six Strategies. or seven. And yeah, yeah. I, I just, they're Giannis too close. is so good. I just, it feels a little bit to me like when the Bucks were down two to nothing against Phoenix in the finals last year. And you're like, oh, oh, they can't do it. They can't win, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden he just turned it on to a level that was just made us start talking about him as one of the great players of all time. Now, the difference is Middleton isn't there and you can't stress enough how important Middleton is. You know, I had mentioned earlier to you about how in the second half of game two, which if I'm a Celtics fan, should make, would make me extremely nervous because a couple of things happened. Just like little glints of the Celtics reverting back to that iso ball, one and oh, done yeah. shots. You know, they've got to move the ball. But also, if you're a Bucks fan, I would be really encouraged by the the changes they did make, you know, screening for Giannis with their shooters, and then just a couple of those dribble handoffs, which of course, there's where they really miss Chris Middleton. I mean, he was the best with Giannis in that regard. So I think they've, you know, near the end of that game solved some ways to, even if it's not Giannis ending up scoring, ways to use Giannis to get themselves better shots. So if I, if I were the Celtics, I'd be a little nervous how that game ended. I'd, I'm with you on that one. I felt that weirdly the second half went so badly for about a quarter and a half there that it, it freaked me out. For Instead of coming out and being like, yeah, we led by yeah, double half. digits for three and a half quarters. Mm. What a great sign. I was like, ah, man, a lot of end of the shot clock shots, a couple 24-second violations. White and Pritchard went off a cliff. Do I trust either of those guys in a game three? No. Hmm. So there was some, yeah, we'll see. I think this is a great series. I really do. And I think Phoenix, Golden State maybe has a chance to be a great series. I'm still not sold on this Golden State team defensively. I think there's a world where Phoenix just slices and dices them and we're like, wow, why did we think Golden State was hey, going to beat them? you better hope they get there. You better yeah. hope they get there. You know, Gary Payton being out, he's the guy that stops John Morant. Yeah. You better hope they get you could there. feel that game too. Wait, yeah. last thing before we go. The Celtics, who I think were last, when you think back to November in Boston, we the Pats were hot. They'd won some mm-hmm. games. Mac Jones, fever. Red Sox had just had a really good season. People were fired up about the Bruins. And the Celtics, it was like same old, same old. People were out. Mm. Now we get to May... F- we're taping this on May 5th. The Bruins are just getting annihilated by Carolina. Oh. Like annihilated. Wow. Anni- my, dad, my dad is about as upset as I've heard him about the Bruins in a while. The it Patriots... Should it should be. It was a terrible game last night. Although my girl, Emily Kaplan, the new sideline star for ESPN. Just got to give Emily some props. Anyway, she's really continue. good. That was a really she's good awesome. hire by them. Yeah. Great. Um, she's a great writer too. Yeah, she's writer. good. I like she's her. She's my pal from around the horn. Yeah, I can't say enough about her. She's great. So the Bruins in the tank. Patriots in a really rough spot. Coming off a, a controversial draft and just right, in right. general, like from a talent standpoint in the AFC, it's hard to make any case for them to have one of the most six or seven talented right. teams. And then the Red Sox have been a catastrophe. 
Yeah, this they got, is the worst Red Sox season. Yeah. <laughs> a closer. They need like eight guys. Everybody's know, sitting yeah. like 170. Yep. Yep. So the but Celtics you, have somehow emerged as the star of the Boston scene. Did not expect that four months ago. But I got to tell you, there's still great faith in the Patriots. And even with this draft controversy, I think people still put Patriots number one. I really do. It, people are still talking about that draft pick, however many weeks later it is. Uh, I think the Patriots are still king. Now, Interesting. If the Celtics, if the Celtics Even now? Chip, yep. Yep. That's my read on this city right now. They're not ready to, to bail just yet. Nope. Well, if you're ranking favorite athletes in the city, is Tatum first now? No. No. People love the Patriots. People love Mac Jones. Now, they should oh, love think... Tatum the most. They should love Tatum the most. You have Mac Jones first? I don't. I no, don't. I'm saying that as, as like you well, think I most just popular. Think, I think people like Tatum, but they need to see more. I think last year scarred their fans quite a bit. I really do. Um, listen, he's, he's unbelievable, Tatum. It's unbelievable, the turnaround. I think it's so impressive because so many young players don't ever make it, like that turnaround, right? So he gets shut out of all NBA. And if you guys don't think that matters, just look at the, the millions of dollars. But also just bragging rights. Like that kind of stuff yeah. really matters to the NBA players. And um, like, Jay, like Ray Allen always said, yeah, being an all-star once means nothing. Can you do it four times in a row? You know, same thing with champion. Be a champion once. You got to do it more than once. All that kind of stuff. And so for Tatum, I just think this was a, a real, like he, he felt like he had a lot to prove. He spent a lot of time during the offseason getting himself ready to prove it. And I would say he's done it without a doubt. I mean, I do believe he'll be in the top five of almost everybody's MVP voting. I, most people's. I mean, he's not going to win, obviously. It's going to be Jokic again, I think, with Embiid and Giannis getting votes and and then a drop off from there. But, you know, some people have Booker on their ballot and, you know. I had Booker. I had Tatum for first team all NBA, but I did not have him for, I had him six for MVP, which. Okay, so you're in the, the, top, for five. the top six or seven. I thought there were you know, a clear yeah. three and then a clear next three. And right. Job. Did you have Job? Luke, did you have Job? Uh, no, I, I had Booker four and I had Luca fifth. See, just I don't see of, how you can. I don't see how you can vote for Luka Doncic as MVP with the start he had. I just can never reward a player. I know. For that. I didn't feel Shame awesome you, about Bill it. Simmons. Shame I know. I didn't you. feel awesome about it. The last four months, though, he was. They were one of the. They'd won three best records in the league. Yeah. So at yeah, some but, point, but, see, I would pick Tatum over Doncic because he was start to finish a player that brought it and did what he needed to do on both sides of the ball. I'm, I'm did, always like the defense. So I did first team All NBA for him. Okay, good. I didn't have a vote this year for the first time in many, many years because I'm sort of retired, except for when I hang out with you, Bill. So. Wow, I would have I would have used you as my conciliary. I didn't know. <laughs> oh, before we go, what happened? So Rudy tells us Dylan Brooks suspended for game three. Not surprised. No, not surprised. I at actually all. wouldn't have been surprised that they did three and four for him. So let me ask you a question. Do you think he did that on purpose? No, but I think he wanted to do a hard foul. I agree with that. So that's just a, just a, a nuance that people should consider. I don't think Dylan Brooks, it might have been a dirty play, but I don't think dirt, Dylan Brooks is a dirty player. And I think there's a difference. I think he's a very physical player. Yeah, but I'm all right with that. But Kerr said before that game, we know this is going to be the most physical game we play in these entire right. playoffs. He knew they were going to come out like that. And, you know, going back, going way back to the 80s and 90s, there were games when you, the game was starting, you were like, this is going to be physical. Yeah. I know I know what's going to happen. So Anything I think, to do with the Detroit Pistons. Right. 
No, that but they that's a good example. Detroit would have these games where like, hey man, no layups today, no dunks, everybody's right. getting hit. So I think Memphis had that mindset. He really missed badly on the swipe. Was the, he did. if you're gonna make yeah. the case for it was a dirty play, he missed it by so much that it was like that. All right, that's a little weird. Mm. That was also a little freaky how Peyton fell. Yeah. It's Sometimes just, guys, it's terrible. they it's roll it over. He put his he put his arm out, which is usually a little dangerous. Do I think it was... Uh, this, see, now I'm going to get in trouble. Do I think it was dirtier than when Dwayne Wade hyperextended Rondo's elbow? No. Hmm. To me, that yeah. was worse. Because Wade like stuck his leg out to trip him too. Remember that? Oh, yeah, he pulled Rondo that. backwards and kind of tripped him from behind. I thought that was dirtier, personally. But I mean, it's just a different world now. Everything, like the flagrant ones that they call, I'm like, okay, that's going to be a flagrant one, but it really shouldn't be, in my opinion, half the time. I just don't, I was I just pushing don't. for, I think it should be flagrant one, two, and three. I think they need to add a level. Because hmm. like to me, Draymond wasn't a flagrant no. two on Sunday, but it was kind of a little more than a flagrant one. So I don't know. Right. There's some middle ground that they're not hitting anymore. In general, though, too many replay reviews. Yeah, way too many. Like, uh, and it's weird because they're in a situation where they're reviewing everything. Got to get this right. But then with four seconds left in the Warriors-Grizzlies game, can't review that. Right. Rule well, says we can't. So it's like, all right, so we can't review. This is literally the biggest play of, call of this game, and we can't review this? But you can review, like, every block and charge that we have for 44 minutes? I don't get it. All right, Jackie. It was Thank great you, to Bill. see you. You too. Uh, check out the Icons Club, which you can find on the Book of Basketball feed. And uh, and I'm I know you're coming back for because this series is going to go for a while. So okay. I know we'll see you again at some point during this series. All right, sounds Thanks good. Thanks for coming up. See ya. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60-day money-back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two S, simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right, Jeff Amens here. The last time we podcasted together, it was early in the pandemic. We were on a phone 
You were in, were you with Eddie Vedder or were you in separate places? I think we we're all in separate places, right? Yeah, yeah. I had just uh, driven to Montana, which is where we go when there's pandemics. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so we were in three different places on phone, trying yeah. not to interrupt each other. I think at one point I had technical difficulties. I had to leave. You guys just kept the podcast going. <laughs> and now it's a lot more normal. You're back on tour. You were in San Diego yeah. at Pearl Jam last night. What was that like to be back? Oh, man. It, it's so it's so great. I mean, you can. I mean, it almost feels like uh, if we retired for ten years and came back, and you know, like the ten thousand biggest fans showed up in one room. It was sort of that amazing. It's really good. Was that the first? I mean, walk me through the last two years. When when have you played together? And who was in the room? That was obviously the biggest room you've had. But but have you had any little testers? What was going on? Uh, yeah, we, we did four shows last fall. We did uh, like three Ohana festivals and then we did a festival in New Jersey. Um, mm. Kind of hoping that uh, things would turn around a little quicker than they than they have. And we're and we're out here right now with masks and testing every day and doing sort of what um, the NBA taught us to do. <laughs> right. Well, you also you released an album and then you didn't get to promote it, which is weird. That's not usually how it goes. That happened in 2020. Yeah, I think this is the third time we've rehearsed the songs. <laughs> Seriously? And, 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 yeah, we just, you know, we never, I mean, we we got to play the songs uh, on those four shows last year, but it wasn't enough. You didn't get it. You didn't get to play them enough times to, uh, for there to be part of your muscle memory. So yeah. it, we kind of had to start all over again about two and a half weeks ago and relearning them. So, yeah. How many... How many times do you have to play those songs as a group before you feel like you guys all have control over it? Because I, I know nothing about this stuff. You could tell me it would take right. three times or it could <laughs> take like a year to really master it. Uh, well, it's, pro it's probably that big of a variety. Some songs, uh, you know, everybody uh, connects with the rhythms and whatever. You know, the, the crazy thing is like five of us write, so all of us have different right hands like we sort of strum differently and so we sort of have to learn each other's rhythms a little bit but um uh yeah th there'll be a few of these that'll take us a few shows to sort of for them to be uh you know in our minds where they should be well what was the highlight from san diego last night oh man there's a lot of highlights um i mean there, there there's so much going on that it's hard to you know i think it was hard for ed to even I mean, he, you know, we didn't even get to mention Roe v. Wade or, <laughs> um, right. um, but yeah, lots, a lot's happened in the last, uh, I mean, it's really been four years since we've been on a proper tour. So, um, uh, yeah, there's lots of catching up to do. And Ed grew up there. And so he's, you know, he's got family and friends and, and so, and that, that we couldn't see, you know, like we're, we're in a bubble. So you see him in the crowd and you wave to him. Bill Walton was in the crowd. Fantastic. Oh, of course he was. Oh my God. Yeah, of course so, he was. But he, but we got a spotlight on him, and he had his arms up as he as he does, and that's you know that stuff's exciting for me because those the basketball guys are my real heroes. So right, well, we're gonna talk about hoops. I saw Eddie; he he performed here a couple months ago with uh you with know Earthlings, yeah, so yeah, yeah, and the energy you could really feel it. you could feel it at Coachella too, where people you know, nobody was able to go to live music or if they did, it was yeah. briefly. And then all of a sudden it got pulled away again. And you so say you feel it with the fans, but you could also really feel it with the band. Like they were just excited yeah. to be out there and doing their thing versus, you know, 
being in some garage or or some rehearsal place or whatever. It yeah, was really I fun. Mean, yeah, I mean, that combined with Andrew Watt, who we've done a little recording with, who played guitar with Ned's band, like he's a, you know, he's been a fan, he's been a fan of Pearl Jam since he was eight years old or something. So he's up there on stage with Ed, you know, yeah. which has got to be uh, pretty amazing. So. So when you got, because you've done solo stuff too, you have the band, which the band has not wavered since the early 90s. Yeah. And then sometimes people go off, but you guys have always been able to navigate that. But how does that, how does that work? Like, like how do the personal dynamics work? Do you, is there ever any questions of like, well, wait, why are you doing that? Why isn't that for us? Or what makes somebody want to kind of go off and leave for a second and then come back? I think in the early days, it was weird. I think, uh, I think Stone was the first guy to sort of, to have a side project. He uh, made a record with Brad. And I think, I think we worked, we sort of worked through it at that point. And then everybody went and did kind of their own things at that point. I mean, it was like 95 or something, 94. And, um, and I think it's been good. I think everybody goes off and you put on a different pair of shoes and plays with different people. And 80% of the time, it's not nearly as uh, satisfying and it might yeah. be a lot more work because, uh, everybody in Pearl Jam, uh, <clears throat> shares the load and, um, we have no problem reaching out to one another if we need help with something. And so, um, uh, you know, it's just, it's just the difference between like a brotherhood or, you know, the, whatever the 60 Celtics teams that were together for all right. those years and, and, um, it's just easier. Um, but it's good. It's good to go off. Well, you can see it with, uh, some of the NBA teams that are succeeding now in the playoffs, like the Celtics. I think one of the reasons they've been so successful, at least the last four months is because Tatum and Brown and Marcus Smart, they've all been together for a while now. And then Horford came back and he was with those guys for a couple yeah. of years. And there's some continuity that the way the league is now where things just shift and guys jump teams and we have another super team, then this guy goes here. Yeah. And the contracts are shorter, so guys are bouncing around and the continuity matters, it feels like, more than it used to. But it, it's, you know, I, w- I would have thought that with the jazz this year. I mean, I'm, I'm a jazz fan because I'm I'm friendly with Quinn and, um, I you know, that, that team baff- baffles me a little bit because that, that team sort of, the core of that team's been together. And why, why aren't, why doesn't Rudy and, like, why can't Rudy and Donovan get along? I don't, I just don't get it. But <laughs> well, that in that case, that's the continuity you don't want, right? That's like right. the band that's ready to break up after five, Cel- six years. But the Celtics felt that way at the beginning yeah. of the year. It felt like Tatum and, and Green weren't, you know, like the, or Brown weren't, weren't uh, getting along and it took Marcus to get pissed off and yell at him and, you know. And, and it's got to it's got to be great having Al Horford and the coach seems great too. It seems like they respond to that guy. So that's yeah. I, the, I mean, this is this is the first Celtics team that I've ever re- kind of liked. <laughs> oh wow, this is so, exciting news. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of part of the reason I wanted to do the show. So yeah, the, <laughs> yes. the coach came in and he was a real hard ass. Yeah, in a way that almost seemed like self destructive. Yeah, and by December, after like the ninth time he lit those guys up. I think all the Celtic fans were like, what the fuck's going on with this guy? Like, this right. is not how you do it. And t- but it worked. Yeah. And those guys are all tougher and they're way more cohesive. And he really gave them like kind of a, I don't know, like kind of a spine. It's a way tougher team than it was the last couple of years. And you could feel it even yesterday in the, when they came back 
Yeah. In game two, we're taping this on a Wednesday. They came back in that game two. They were just really physical, physical with Giannis and just, just yeah. tough in a way that I don't feel like they were last year. And that's kind of been their the mode they've been in since the All-Star break. I mean, yeah, I, I've seen a couple of games where I was like, that's kind of the best defense I've seen in like 20 years. Yeah. Like, and then Milwaukee was slapping around the yeah. first two games too. The defense was nuts. Yeah. I mean, this series is going to be so great. I mean, I, I'm I'm going to miss one or two of them because we'll be playing. But I, I wish I could. I wish I could be at every one of these games because I, I would go if we weren't on tour. I think. So you go to the Utah Jazz games? What's the deal? Or are you just yeah, watch them yeah. on TV? Or you're able to go to them? No, no. I, well, I haven't gone for a couple of years, but um, I mean, there was a six, seven year period where um, I mean, I don't know that many guys, um, any coaches and stuff, but um. Uh, Larry Koskoviak was a Montana guy who was at University of Utah and then Quinn mm. Snyder, um, his brother, Matt and I have been friends for 30 years and played in basketball leagues. And, and so we, we'd, we'd make a trip, three or four of us and, and go down and just watch basketball for, you know, three, four nights in a row and sort of get the red carpet, you know, you're, you know, yeah. you know, some folks and that makes it nice cause you get good seats and, but, um, yeah, you know, and it's close. It's close. It's close to Seattle. So, you know um, what's crazy about Salt Lake is it's a very popular NBA player city, which I would not have expected. But wh- like, why I, is that? I think they they like that it's a little discreet. I think yeah. they like the nightlife. I think, yeah, you know that, or the what the version of the nightlife is in Salt Lake. I think they like the the women and the people that are there, and it's just I I think it's a little more NBA friendly than people might realize. Yeah. People well, would think the opposite. Yeah, there, there's a rebelliousness there too. I think because of the church, there's a, you know, there there's a lot of kids who are, you know, younger people that, you know, want to party and get out and get after <laughs> right. it and Break drink coke yeah. and drink caffeine. Yeah. So. <laughs> have, have some have some Mexican coke right, with extra right. sugar in it. Right. Well, there's with the back to the Mitchell Gobert thing. My theory in this because I read up on it. There's a couple of really good stories about it on um. ESPN, Tiffic Mann wrote a really good one. It seems like a philosophical difference between the two stars, where you have the one star, Gobert, who really should be the f- the foundation of this defense-oriented, like yeah. almost like 2000s team, and everybody's on the same page, and it's just like basically the defense would be the best part of the team. And Mitchell is like this new wave, offense-first guy, it's not really a two-way player at all. He would be better off on a team like Dallas where you're just spreading the floor and it's yeah. you know five shooters and he could just attack. So they don't make sense together. And I think people thought they made sense together because they're getting wins, but they kept falling short in the playoffs. Then this year, they seem so dispirited. It, it just seems like one of them has to go. Yeah, and it's yeah. probably going to be Gobert. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, this is the first year that it, it felt like the body language was off. You know, like, yeah. I mean, you just see Donovan's kind of give up and... Yeah, and he wasn't, I mean, wasn't playing hard defense either. Which no, I, thought, I mean, not that like, he was great before, but he really wasn't this year. Yeah, but I mean, at least he was playing like help defense and getting steals and stuff before. I mean, this year it didn't seem like he was, you know, getting much of that. So I hope they figured it out. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I pull for Quinn. I really like Quinn a lot. So, well, there's rumors he might be going to the Lakers, I and mean, that's oh man, you know, that's I in mean, play if, too. I don't, who knows? Well, you know if. I think if that was a better situation, I would say go do, go do that. But is there a worse situation right now? In the no. league? Like, <laughs> That's tight. Yeah. It's a tough situation for any coach. It's like, here's, I, don't, I think they're going to be able to trade Westbrook. For for who? It's just, 
like I, wall. I or went somebody. from thinking there's no way to now thinking, ah, he's got a year left on his deal. Yeah. Some of these other teams want to shake stuff up or reset or, you know, like even a team like Utah, which I don't know if they'll do this, but if they really wanted to blow it up and trade everybody and they're taking big contracts back for yeah. one year with a bunch of picks. Yeah. I, th- so, I think if, I think if you put Westbrook with a bunch of young athletes, I think it could be interesting too. I think just him getting out and pushing the ball. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the Lakers didn't have any of that. So, you know, I mean, that's that that was one part of the bad fit was that's an old half court offense and that's kind of not his deal. So, yeah, it reminded me a little of um, sometimes when the, the super bands, the right. people who've already fame, they just kind of throw a band, they, they're bored. They're like, oh, it's, and then it's just kind of doesn't make sense. And yeah, they're like, why'd you guys do this? What's yeah, I'm on here. I, I'm a, I'm a Westbrook apologist. I have been my his whole career. So Even now, I, well, you know, the, my argument now is that if you look at it, if you, I mean, he gave you exactly what he's given you his whole career. If you look at his stats, it's the same. It's the same. It's like forty five percent field goal percentage. Hmm. Um, it's four turnovers. I think he had less turnovers this year than he normally does. So it's like, you know, it's like, I can't, like how could the Lakers be shocked? And he gave him seventy eight games. I mean, what did? AD played 20 and LeBron played like 50 or something like. Right. I mean, I mean, that's the part that I love about him is just as, I mean, you know, he drives, you know, he drives you crazy at the same time, but it's just his effort and how much he cares. And, and I thought LeBron and AD like gave up a ton this year too, man. You'd watch those, those last 10 games. You'd be like, those guys just like lurking around the outside with their shoulders down. And yeah, Davis had a bizarre year. LeBron, I went to like four Laker games over the course of three weeks. So I really got to see it in person and you could see he was checked out on the team, but he wasn't checked out on succeeding. Right. right. So like they would leave the timeout would end. And I always love, that's my favorite thing of going to yeah. I really miss going to games. Yeah. And I always love to watch the timeouts. Who's interacting. Yeah. How do they interact when like there's a replay review? What, what are guys doing? And he, a lot of the times, would just walk to the furthest part of the court just to get away yeah. from everybody. Yeah, and then he would do his thing. He was very businesses-like, but you could just yeah. tell he was like, this team getting, sucks. Getting his points. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, I think at some point he realized he's got, he wasn't going to win a title with this team. He's either about titles or he's about how many points can he get? Can he get to yeah. 40,000? Can he beat Kareem? Yeah. So, you know, he's one, he's going to be in one of those two lanes and he was in yeah. neither lane with this team. So he went for the points, yeah. but. It's pretty weird. And also, like, it's weird that basketball players are turning into musicians. Like, you guys can have a, you guys can have a band for 50 years if you want. And we yeah. would have thought, well, if you're a basketball player, you only get 15 years. And now it's, yeah, know, can you get 25? Yeah, maybe. I mean, who's the, who's the next Tom, who's the Tom Brady? Yeah. It might be him. Yeah. Could be. Right? I mean, I mean, you know, the, the rumor that I just heard is he's, you know, he's, he, he was spending a million dollars a year for his help, but then I heard he spent two this year or something like that. So, oh, I, yeah, I think it's easily. I so think he's, he's not the only one either, because when you think like chefs, you think all the technology oh. that they have and masseuses and they have cryo chambers and yeah, four or five like guys it, on staff. Yeah, yeah. and they're people yeah. making them food constantly and personal trainers and yeah, yeah it's got to be eat, a couple million. Making them eat it at the right time of the day. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it's. It's 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 cool how scientific it's gotten. I mean, mainly just because it's uh, we're seeing this insane evolution <laughs> of the athlete right. in like a really short period of time, which is pretty cool. Yeah, because like in football, Aaron Rodgers might be able to do it. Um, yeah, 
you might see way down the road Mahomes if he could just he's pretty young, right? He's, you know, he's already put up some really big stats and I think he's like 25, something like that. Yeah. So I think if he can stay healthy and then from a hoop standpoint, I think a lot of these dudes, who knows? I always know? wonder if like Mahomes and, and like Russell Wilson, if those guys won't last as long just because of the way that they play, you know, like they're a little bit more running. I don't know. You know, well, the way they've changed defenses where you're not allowed to hit anybody. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing with LeBron. Like he still, you know, takes some real punishment. I guess yeah. Giannis is somebody that was thinking about him during the uh, first two Boston games because it's so different when you're rooting against the guy. Yeah. It's one thing if like I could bet on on him or against him or I could just watch him on TV. But when it's like my, my team's playoff future is at stake, you're just, right. it's a different <laughs> level of fear. And it's just like, God, he, he has that same LeBron thing now where he could just put his shoulder into whoever... And then get to where he wants to go anyway. And it's like, yeah. it's, all right, you're gonna call if you're not gonna call that a charge, what are we supposed to do? Yeah. You know? And he's twenty seven, so Yeah. And he seems like crazy durable too. Like and there's been, you know, a couple of times where it looked like he was out for a while and then three games later he's back. Right. Like last year it hurt his yeah. knee and it was like, Oh, is thought he done he, for the year? He's no. done. Yeah. 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 When you think about like LeBron and Kareem, Duncan. These guys, are, the durability was a big piece of when you start thinking about the six, seven, eight, nine, ten best players. Yeah, but it's it's the Kareem thing is amazing that he lasted that long. Yeah, with four years in college too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he had like I was thinking about that during Winning Time. I don't know if you watch Winning Time. It's oh, a, yeah, a really bizarre HBO show. It's I really enjoy it though. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he's like he's in the league. 11 years at that point on that show, but he'd also put five years or four years at UCLA. So he's, you know, whereas LeBron it was year 15, he was 15 years in the NBA. You know, he had no college at all. Yeah. So, um, so by his 15th year, that was like the 2018 finals against the Warriors. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, was the part of it with Kareem was that he was broke, right? Wasn't that part of it? That, that he just I think, yeah, he had, a bad, he had a bad fire. Yeah. And they also yeah. made less money back then. So you were watching Winning Time. Oh, yeah. I think it's, I mean, John Riley is just fantastic. Holy smokes. Like, you know, I thought the first couple episodes they were doing a pretty good job of like, except for except for the Jerry West character, which I didn't buy just because the guy was too thick. Yeah. Um, but um, Right. It was like fat Jerry West. Yeah. But um, everybody else, I thought they were doing a good job the first two, three episodes of just sort of like, you know, making every character like a villain and somebody that you liked. And, um, and then they kind of, it was a tipping point, I think kind of happening right now with magic and just the womanizing and how bad yeah. he's treating cookie and, you know, and, and there's truth in all that stuff. You know, I think, I mean, I think they, I think all those guys made a big mistake by, I think Kareem should have just not talked about it. I think it would probably go away quicker if, I don't know. I, well, I think he, he, HBO was delighted that anytime oh, there was a controversy, they're sure. like, awesome, please get mad. Sure. And then this yeah. magic documentary that comes out of the middle of nowhere, like like they're trying to balance it out and tell the, the puff piece version, or I don't know, I don't know what they're doing, but I, I, I it's incredible. Yeah. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident, and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, 
there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash in every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card member. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. You guys, you've done a couple documentaries, but you did not do the puppies version. I didn't feel like, like the, the Cameron Crowe one, I guess it was, you know, it was favorable to you guys, but I thought some of the stuff was really interesting about kind of the soul of the band, the first three, four years, stuff like that. It's a little like a basketball team. Yeah. I I mean, I didn't want to do it just because it's, it just takes that year or two of your career where you're looking back and you're talking about all this, you know, and I, I've always just wanted to keep keep the thing rolling and moving ahead. And yeah, in retrospect, I'm glad we, that we did it because I think it, it sort of allowed us to sort of put a bow on that first 20 years and put it in the closet and then we could, we could move on. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't have any perspective of if it was good or not. <laughs> and that, I like Cameron's it. great. So I liked it. Yeah. yeah. We, we were doing, we did that music box series for HBO. We were doing documentaries. They were really like, focused on like windows with a band or, yeah. you know, an event, stuff like that. And, um, I, to me, it's like, it was the same thing would happen with 30 for 30, where if you do it correctly, it becomes a really cool document of the team or the player or the band yeah. or the artist or whatever that I think ultimately they kind of rally around They're They're like way down the road. They're glad it exists. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And sometimes they'll be glad right away. Like when we did the bad boy Pistons one, those guys were so, so happy great. that somebody told <clears throat> their story because they were yeah. just the the wrestling heels for yeah. 25 years. And then it was like, oh, we're the good guys in this? So those guys were <laughs> delighted. <laughs> but other times, especially with musicians, like we we talked to a lot of people for that season one of the music box. And a lot of the artists were where you were, where it's just like, yeah, yeah I don't want to look, I don't want to go backwards. We're still yeah. trying to make music. We want to go this way. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a hard balance. Yeah. But at the same time, like I bet, you know, down the road, your family will probably be glad some of this stuff exists. Oh, yeah. And and like, you know, like my parents and, you know, the people you grew up with and all of that. You know, I, I mean, I, I made sure to go back to my little hometown in Montana and do my part. And, right. And uh, I, just because I, I don't know, it's it's like once you agree to do that stuff, it's like you, you then at that point you want to do it right. You don't want to you don't want to yeah. half ass it or mumble through it and seem like a curmudgeon. And so. Well, you guys, I mean, you didn't really need a documentary since you had your iconic cameo and singles. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, still, I still, I still get embarrassed. Like when that gets brought up, like, hey. why do you get embarrassed? It's 30th anniversary of that movie <laughs> this year. I think we're going to do it on the rewatchables. Oh man. I mean, I think, you know, again, I have, I have zero perspective. You know, the best part of that movie for me was I, I worked in the art department, that whole movie. And it was, that was, you know, it was a blast. It was just a blast to help 
you know, decorate walls of the apartment, create these fake posters. And it was kind of all the stuff that I did in the band anyway. But oh, so you were um, doing like the Citizen Dick posters? Yeah, stuff that's, like that? that's all that's all that was all me and like all the <laughs> fictitious song titles and all, you know, it was just fun to sort of, you know, help create these bands. And, you know, Cameron would come over a day and sit at the desk and ask what I was working on and we'd get all excited and right. You know, so that that part was super fun. But the acting, that was that's that's I, I thought it was solid. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that that film comes out a little late for when the actual like movement, whatever you want to call it's happening. Yeah. But I'm still glad I still feel like it captures something. Yeah. You know, and you look back, it's like, I'm glad it exists. I think the actors, uh, I'm sure Cameron probably, if he had to do it over again, maybe he'd make the actors a little younger. Yeah. The lead actors, like Campbell Scott, the lead guy, like he seems like he's yeah, totally wrong. 30 yeah. in that movie. Yeah, yeah. That guy should have seemed like he was 22, 23, 24 range. Yeah, but, it was just, it, everything was just a little sweet. You know, what, you know, really what was going on at that time in Seattle, it was, it was a little, a little darker and, yeah, I was going to say, what do you remember? Because that's that we're officially 30 years, yeah. you know, away from that at that point. Is it just, do you even remember? Or is it just, because I barely can remember anything that happened in the 90s <laughs> at this point. You know, it's every, everything's like a blur. You remember yeah. one story, one anecdote. What do you remember? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I remember quite a bit. I, I There's probably only a couple small periods where I was drinking. Um, the rest of the time, I would just go out and drink like cranberry and soda and... Mm. Uh, um, so I, I remember, I remember most of it. Um, I mean, it, you know, it was a, it was a cool little scene there, you know, there was probably like a hundred people and half of us were in bands and, you know, mostly it was about going out to the Vogue on a Wednesday night. See, that was the night that they had bands and, uh, there was a couple other clubs, uh, ditto and, yeah, it, you know, it was just people kind of doing the same thing kind of with not really a lot of hopes to do to to be big or to right you know sign to a major you know that didn't really start to happen until 88 or 89 or something so um uh yeah it was you know it's just it, it's a great way to be in your, in your 20s you know like just making music and making art and hanging out with friends who are into the same thing and skateboarding and chasing girls and just kind of the whole you know it was like it sounds like my son <laughs> I think my son's doing ninety nine percent of that right now. What do what do young people? Because I'm sure you get asked by like aspiring musicians and up and coming bands or bands hoping to replicate anything you guys did. But what do they say? What are like the what are the questions they ask you? Uh, you know my 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 niece right now um, uh, has a has a little record deal and has been working on songs for the last year and a half. And her angle is so different, you know, like I, I, I keep saying like the important thing is to get out there and play live and get your, get your audience. And if you have your audience, you'll have, you can make a life of it. And, um, and, and just to keep your, just to keep writing and keep focused on that part of it. And, um, she talk, you know, it's like young people talk about Spotify hits and YouTube views and kind of all that stuff. And I, I just, yeah. And I just don't know any, I mean, you know, I do have Spotify that I listen to once in a while and I go to YouTube when I need to <clears throat> learn a cover song or, or something, but, but I don't pay attention to any of that stuff in terms of, well, I mean, Scott Greer, who I think you, yep. you, who you talk to, he's, he's sort of our guy. Uh, he's the one paying attention to that stuff. So, 
I mean, but he talks about stuff and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what that means. It doesn't, you know, it's like, you know, if you're on a computer for two hours, you, you view 10 things. And what does that mean? There's no, there's no money exchange where people are really paying attention. You <laughs> right. know, it's just all, all of it. So I, I just don't, you know. Yeah. Like you guys released an album and that's, I listened to the whole album from start to finish. And then you go back and you listen to it again. Now the, the whole mechanism is so different now. Now, yeah. I would, now if you guys were, came out of a time machine right now, I don't even know what that would look like. And right. it'd be like one song and then all of a sudden somebody would be doing it on TikTok, and then that's how the song would blow up. And you, you know, know we, I, I don't know. He, he, you know, we were talking the other day, though, about how in the late 60s and 70s, there were a lot of albums that were like seven, eight songs, 30-minute records, 25-minute records. And then I think, when this, I think when CDs came out, I think when the, when the price jumped, at least I remember as an artist, I remember you felt like, oh, we're charging people 12 bucks for this thing. We got to give them 14 songs. Like, yeah. you know, you felt guilty. And, and then, and then it got out, it just got out of whack where, you know, these most records were 50, 60 minutes long. And, uh, I feel like now it's time to go back the other way. Like, let's go back and make six and seven song records. And then the attention deficit thing can right. handle, can handle that part of it. And then maybe you make more records, you know? Um, I mean, I would love to do that. I would love to make a record a year or something, but. Yeah, like the so the seventies were like the cassettes where you'd flip the cassette halfway through. Yeah, and that first song on the second side of the cassette was always important, right? It was right. Like, yeah. Huge. Right. And then all of a sudden, the CD was the straight through. Yeah. And yeah, it was like right around the early nineties. I remember the Smashing Pumpkins that one out Melancholy album, and they did the double album, and it was like yeah. twenty five songs, and it was right. like I can't. It's going to take me like too a much. year to decide which yeah. ones. This is too much. It was like being served some dinner that had seven entrees. You know, I would have been so much happier with like the eight, not eight to ten songs. And that thing, you guys, you never, you guys never really did like the absolute. I don't feel like you ever went overboard with a number of songs on an album, did you? Uh, I think the most I think, you had. I think in the middle, we there was a few thirteen and fourteen. Yeah, uh, but think, you never more than that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean. You know, we, there's been a lot of talk over the years about it, making a double record because sometimes we've had that enough material, but I think we always just go back to like, I think we should pick the 10 or 12 and, you know, leave the six for the yeah. lost dogs or whatever. Um, so what was, I asked Eddie this too, I asked both of you this two years ago and he got mad, but it's like, what was your favorite <laughs> song to perform? It's a favorite. What does that mean? <laughs> but when you're out, you've been playing some of these songs for, 30 plus years like what are there like two or three where you're like oh yeah this one this one still does it for me uh or are they all like you know i think sometimes when we give songs a break i get excited i get excited oh to bring them back to like yeah to bring them back yeah so which songs did you give a break what like give me an example well i mean for example we played jeremy last night and we had we don't play that song wow we play we we probably play it every six or seven shows, maybe. Yeah. Um, whereas we play live every night. We play even flow every night. Um, we didn't play black last night, which was kind of shocking. Um, um, so I so try to mix it up. 
yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's been the best part of, of, of getting out and playing shows is mixing it up every night and feeling like there's three songs you barely know and you're hanging on by a thread and keeps you engaged. And well, now you have this whole social media thing where the set list goes out immediately. Yeah. People can investigate it. Wait, they played that. Oh my God. They They complain. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't there, but they complain. Yeah. they're (laughs) uh, Horrible show. (laughs) (laughs) They complained about a show they weren't at. Right. (laughs) You started, you started um, doing some TV stuff. You're in this Hulu show. You did the music yeah. for it. That's a whole, I mean, some people have gone down that road and like Trent Reznor, I think is probably He's one of great. the best examples. But yeah. um, but this is a whole world that you can go down pretty easily. What appealed to you about that? Um, well, I, I, I asked. I said I asked, Hulu. I, by the way, it's an FX show. It's on. Yeah, Hulu. yeah. It's yeah. on Hulu. It's an FX. So, so I, uh, I was talking to Scott Gert right at the beginning of the pandemic, and he's like, "You know, is there anything that you want me to, you know, keep an eye out for you?" And I said, "Yeah, get me a great movie." Like mm. I said, steal a Paul Thomas Anderson movie from Johnny Greenwood, please. <laughs> and uh, he came back like, you know, a month later and said, "Hey, I got you a pitch for this." Uh, this series it's a john krakauer book called under the banner of heaven i was like i've i've read it fantastic i was like yeah i go that's perfect like i have all sorts of um issues around my childhood catholicism and so this is going to be a good fit um and i had i just had a great pitch with i've never done a pitch in my life (laughs) and but i had a great pitch with lance black the the screenwriter and um had a follow-up one and then i it seemed like i had the gig but for a month or so i wasn't sure if i had the gig and uh we just started moving ahead as if we were going to do this thing and then the thing got postponed and delayed because of covid and Mm. editors and and changing and we just kept we just kept plowing through it and made all this music i kind of had a uh I've had this vision for like 20 years about how I wanted to make an ambient record uh, in the space that I have in Montana. And um, we went down that road and we just sort of hit this vein of like where we were just making really satisfying music. (laughs) Um, And and it's not songs. It's like you're creating like this big sonic scapes and and trying to uh, sort of... uh, It's like moods, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and change and and creating these moods in different keys with all these different instruments and having all these little uh, places around the room. We had looper stations like making music in this room, and then we would just go to these little stations and play either keyboards or upright bass and acoustic or full electric trio with this drum set and two amps. And uh, it was just like fun. it was just fun, you know, being in the room with Josh Klinghoffer and. John Wicks, who I've made a bunch of music with. And um, it was just super, you know, creative. It's like, I immediately wanted to do it with Pearl Jam. I was like, we need to do this because we could, we could write a shit ton of music doing this. But, um, uh, well, wait a second. So do you know, like, how much do you know about the TV show as you're creating this stuff? You know, the general mood, you read the book. I read the book. But, I read but the, are I read you, the sh- is this music you would have created anyway? Or is it like, because they always say like, it's inspired by the content, but if it's actually inspiring it, how does it inspire it? Well, you know, the, a lot of the conversations that we had with Lance, um, he, you know, he kept talking about the, the, the show is about um, 
you know, the earthly uh, desires and evils, you know, uh, you know, tapped up against the celestial, you know, love and, and all that. And so he, mm. he kept saying he wanted the music to sort of um, take on the juxtaposition of those two forces. And so that was always in the back of our head. So we, so we had like bells and marimba phones and, you know, all these chimey things in the room that we could go to all this percussion uh, keyboards that were like very, um, you know, sort of the top end of things. And then we just had all this heavy, almost like black metal stuff going on underneath. (laughs) Um, And, uh, yeah, it was. It, it, and then once we got into, once we started seeing the episodes, and once we started going back and forth between the editors and Lance and kind of all that, then that was when the real work began. And about eighty percent of the time, we were we were we were hitting it in the right place. And then every once in a while, he would just say, "No, that's not really a dark scene. That's more. There's more melancholy. It should be more melancholy." So we'd have to go yeah. back and redo that. But it, it was. I mean, it's. I you know, that's a. I could do that as a day gig, like nine to five. 40 hours a week, it would be, uh, that would be very satisfying. Yeah. yeah Lance is like, no, nah, they're going to the morgue in this scene. That's a little too upbeat. We need a, <laughs> we didn't, they're at the morgue music. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's not a ton of upbeat music on this. There's a couple of family scenes and yeah, you know, there's not, not much. Most there's no, not pretty, a lot of montages, not a lot, like no. a little league montage no. or anything. Yeah. Were you, were there scores that you, love from different movies or TV shows that you, cause you mentioned Paul Thomas Anderson. Was there anything where you're like, man, that's like the gold standard. I love that. Well, uh, you know, the one thing that Lance told us at the beginning was he said, don't watch any other scores. I want you to do your own thing, forge your own path. Like he, he was so uh-huh. great about that. Um, but, um, I saw power of the dog and I was like, Oh shit, that's like the greatest <laughs> right. I mean, Johnny Greenwood and, and very different than anything he'd done before. <clears throat> um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a song, there's a movie that I loved as a kid called the Missouri, Missouri breaks, uh, Jack Nicholson, and Marlon Brando. Yeah. That, that the, you know, the area that it's about is like 10 miles from where I grew up in Missouri breaks. And, um, so as a family, we went and saw that when I was a kid and there's a, there's a piece in that movie that I always, remember being interesting. And when I got the get this gig, I, I went and looked that back up and it's a John Williams score. And most of the score is like sort of Western hillbilly music, you know, it's like banjos yeah. and stuff, but there's this one piece that's kind of a modern piece. And I, I actually listened to that a lot because I was like, that's an example of using modern music in a historical way that where it works yeah and and so that that was that was sort of inspirational in a lot of ways uh just so we didn't go to the banjos and because because sometimes there's these historical scenes in under the banner of heaven where they go back to joseph smith and all of that and your instinct is to go to the banjo yeah <laughs> but we for, we sort of force ourselves not to and just sort of like you know tap into what was going on at that time with more modern instruments there's some, I, I'm obsessed with the whole score thing. Like Midnight Runs, one of my favorite movies. That one has a great one where it's like, yeah. it'll kick yeah. in, it can go yeah. slow. And it's like, yeah. oh, we're on the, we're on the road again to get chased by the police. And it like ratches it up again. I mean, 
I, I was kind of obsessed with that movie for about 10 years. I, yeah. I need to watch it again. It's, it's still a classic. It's, yeah. the, it's one of those you just dive in. It's like putting on a nice sweater. Mm-hmm. All right. I have two questions and then we'll go. Yeah. Question one. As a bass player, um, on, the, on the great NBA teams, there's always, you know, the parallel to the band, the guy who, yeah. you know, he's not going to maybe not get as many points and as many shots and right. maybe not get as much attention as the best guy in the team or the star of the team or the most overpaid guy in the team, whatever. But they got to know their role, like Chris Bosh in the yeah. LeBron era. There's got to be that guy who's just like, all right, I'm almost overqualified to be this guy. But um, if I do all the stuff I'm really good at, we go up a level. Who is the guy now? Who's the guy you identify with on the teams? Is it like a Marcus Smart? I, that's exactly who I was just thinking. I, and I was kind of thinking, I immediately was thinking Celtics because, of, because you're such a Celtics fan. Thank you. But I've always loved Marcus Smart. Mm. Always. And it's, it's the same reason that I like Westbrook and that it's just the effort part. Like I, I love the players where it's, where they they are putting it on the line every play and playing hard and get pissed pissed off at the other guys when they're not playing hard enough, and he's sort of grown into the role. I mean, he's defensive player of the year. I mean, that's yeah. like that's just I voted like, for him. That's just the greatest thing ever. Like, God, what's he? Twelve years into his career, he's he's tw- ten. No, years? it's like yeah, eight, eight. Yeah, yeah. Feels like he's been around longer. It does. It does. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, eight years into his career, and he sort of worked to this place he's 30 years old and he's like yeah he's he's peaking which is and just from hard work and you know perseverance and and learning the angles and probably studying his ass off and all of it so i you know that's a good example all right last question so (laughs) i was reporting and people they better take this seriously but las vegas and seattle are getting expansion teams nobody believes me I've, uh, I've heard that people, from NBA folks. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah, They're doing it. It's going to be for a lot of money. Yeah, I think LeBron and the Fenway Sports Group are going to be involved in the Las Vegas team and they have all the Seattle people's set. And question 1A, can we call them the Sonics again? Yes, absolutely. All right, so you're cool with that because they got to. stolen away. So they yep. have to be the Sonics. And that was part of the deal. Part of the deal is that we got to keep the name and the colors. Question 1B, you guys have to play the anthem for the first game, right? I mean, you, who else is there? Is there who else would you even be competing against for that? It has to be you guys. I mean, they'll probably they'll probably get the guy from Train to do it. No, it's got to be you guys. You guys got to plant your flag now. Like, <laughs> hey, if we're getting the Sonics back, we are there. I want you got to get the court sides. They got to yeah. be four. Yeah, um, and you got to play, and you just got to be like. Anytime there's a big Sonics game, all of a sudden you guys are there again. It'd be great. Um, I mean, I mean, for ten years I lived across the street from from the Coliseum, from Key Arena, and walked had season tickets on the floor next to the visitors bench where I could watch the timeouts. It was the greatest, maybe the greatest ten, definitely the greatest ten sports years of my life because I was I was hooping three days a week at that time. Mm. But to walk across the street and see that team and to see every other team, the Jordan teams, like just it, it, like seriously the great and to walk home to not get in a car and get on the freeway for That's amazing. 45 minutes. It was just the best. So I, 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 I hope they come back. I, it's I will, happening. I'll be the first guy in line to get tickets 
It could be a whole renaissance just in general. Seattle, oh, yeah. just the whole thing. It shed the whole, like, <laughs> the Silicon Valley, Pacific Northwest side. It's, you're back to your roots. Yeah. Music and basketball, it'll be the And they thing. could just, they could hold it over Balmer's head and say, this is what you could have had. <laughs> right. If you could have worked it out with Howard Schultz. <laughs> yeah, instead he's building an arena for the Clippers in Inglewood. Yeah. And nobody here likes the Clippers, unfortunately. Yeah. I like yeah. the Clippers, but it's just, it's all Laker fans. It is what it is. Although They're never they going to change that. They did say that he was crazy when he bought that team for $2 billion and now it's probably worth four, so. <laughs> oh my God, I wasn't saying it. I mean, it's an yeah. LA team, you know? Yeah. Now they... Yeah. I think in general with the media rights deal and everything, but yeah, I, I heard six and a half to 7 billion combined for the Vegas Seattle teams, but it's probably yeah. even going up because the media rights are going up. So who knows? Anyway, I yeah. think it's coming back. I'm excited. Man. You guys are back. You're touring again. They, they, life's starting to feel normal. You're in LA this weekend. Yeah. We'll see you here. I'm very excited for that. Yeah. Winning time. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Right. You can celebrate at the forum club after. Yeah. All right, Jeff, good to see you. Say hi to everybody. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Bill. Take care, man. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Jeff. Thanks to Chris and Tyler. Thanks to Jackie McMullen. Thanks to Kyle Creighton for producing. Thanks to Dylan Berkey and Steve Cerruti as well. See you on this feed on Sunday night with Russell.